and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host, Aaron, and I'm talking movies and films with my best buddy, James. Hello there, sailor. Like it. Love it. Keep it. Okay. I oh. shall. <laughs> How you been doing? You all right? I'm a cracking. It's, it's been a weird week. A lot of endings. So uh, Line of Duty's over now. Uh, Invincible's over. I'm really glad that you told me about that because that was, that was a whirlwind. That was a, that was a cracking show. Just, I'm, I'm ready to get my teeth into something new, something different. And I found, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not Daybreak on Netflix. <laughs> it's not Crowing Bones. That, that lasted two episodes and that's done. I need something good. Listeners, get in touch. I want it. I want, I want something juicy. A new TV series. A new TV series because I, I'm done with the... Uh, <laughs> I got, to, I got to season 10, which I was actually quite impressed with, but now I'm done. How many seasons are there? 15. Fuck. But I'm, I'm past the good ones. Life is short. <laughs> Life is short. And I've watched a lot of VR, so I'm done. Uh, but so TV shows is your thing this week? Yeah. Mm. And it's been, it's been, I like it. Right. So there's a great debate here. It's TV series. Where are they the new movies? So when you're growing up, TV was kind of sad. It was not sad. It wasn't the thing that you watched, but, but there's been a renaissance. We, is it because we're more in depth with the characters? We like the prolonged storyline. We don't have an, a character arc in, in two hours now when you watch a film. You have it over eight, ten episodes. Is TV the new movie? And also with a lockdown, people not going to the cinema. Is the small screen now the big screen? Is Kiefer Sutherland responsible for the A-listers transitioning into the small screen? Mate, we're not hanging about today. We're hitting it with the big ones because they had a knock-on effect. Mm. Because after that, you had the, the Ghost Whisperer with uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. She, she was done with movies and she made a killing as the Ghost Whisperer. Then it carried on like that. Uh, yes, Kiefer Sutherland. Because, you know, he stuck it to the 90s. Well, like- I'd go back to this. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. I keep someone saw him in an interview. I think it was on Jonathan Ross. Hit the nail on the head straight away. He's like, I'm in a movie spend six months doing it, two months promoting it. Um, it's in cinemas, if you're lucky, you know, or in, in the box office top 10 for a couple of weeks, dies down and it goes to video. He's like, I do a TV series though called 24. Okay. I'm I'm being covered for 24 weeks of the year. Yep. Um, each episode is electrifying, has a cliffhanger ending, uh, gets renewed for multiple seasons. He's like, it's just, why wouldn't I? For publicity, for getting my name out there for... Um, being on the cover of magazines, like it's more lucrative than movies that could flop or at any time could just fail. You know, as we know, like, you know, if, if, if you, you know, you could put all your heart and soul into a movie and then a big global blockbuster gets released the same weekend and your independent movie doesn't get yeah. to the forefront or, or people don't get to find it. He's got a perfect example. He wanted to break away from the, uh, between series. He did a film called The Sentinel where he played Jack Bauer <laughs> haunting Michael Douglas. And that film was dog shit but, but we forgot about it and then you know a few weeks later it's season six yes <laughs> so there's quite there's quite a few of the uh keepers of the movies we forget yeah yeah I mean, we'll try I mean, to. yeah yeah mirror uh, i'm looking at you <laughs> but no so it's, it's been it's been a weird one um i agree with the majority of people at this point with line of duty but when we come to a definitive end it's fan theories uh i know a lot of people thought this about wandavision when you love something so much and you've poured so much uh, time into it and, you know, you think about the theories and you use your own knowledge. So WandaVision, everyone was reading the comic books looking for hidden meanings and, and in Line of Duty, people were going back to Series 1 and, oh, what could it all mean? Ultimately, it's it's like things. When things become so phenomenal, i.e. Game of Thrones, the ending will never match your experiences, uh, mm. your expectations because you've been expecting it for so long. So I don't mind an, a bad ending because I like the journey. Never judge a series on its ending. Exactly. Or a, or a whole season or whatever it is. You, it, you can't, can you? It's, no. You're right. It's too much. 24 is, is the accompaniment of that. You know, you've got all this stuff going on. How do you wrap it all up in an ending <laughs> that is completely satisfying? Yeah, you can't, can you? No. So 
Other than other than if it is a you know a, a story that is going to end after that, you know, True Detective being for me the holy oh. grail of TV series, but that, an ending's never let you down. Know. They never let me down. All three, even the second one that people aren't as much a fan of, still had a really kind of definitive ending. Definitive that, ending. Yeah, answered your questions and still left you wanting kind of more. The ending was good. I preferred it over the other eleven episodes. <laughs> but. The, well, the, oh, it's not 11, it's, it's no, it uh, 8, it isn't it? Was yeah, it? because again, that's the other thing about TV series. What's the optimal now? So I think I think 8 is the optimal. I'd go with 8. If you can't tell your story in 8 series, if you look at the Netflix ones, um, 12 episodes, there's always a mid-season look where you have to get your secondary bad guy in because mm. you can't have your main bad guy be f- this early in it, i.e. Daredevil season 1, you had Fisk, but you couldn't have him, so you needed like Nobu and you, the ninjas and you didn't care. Or season two, it's Punisher, but then you need to get Electra in because you can't have the Punisher for that season. So he's like, yeah. Or Luke Cage, get rid of Mahesha Ali halfway through to bring in Diamond back. But like the worst, the worst decision in a TV series ever. Who should we get rid of? The best actor. (laughs) The best person. The person who will go on to win two Oscars. Yeah, get rid of him. Get rid of him. We don't need him. Um, Yeah, TV series I love. I love sinking into it. British, British drama as well. Oh, it's insane. It's top level. There's an afterland of duty when everyone was disappointed, bitter. The, the gentleman, I can't remember who created Line of Duty, he also did Bodyguard. He's got a new one come out about a murder on a submarine. It's called like HMS, it's not called, but HMS Pinafore, uh, where the army get um, a, a local detective to go onto the submarine and investigate it. And do you know what? Everyone went from disappointment. Oh, that was a bit of a crap ending too. Oh my God, I will watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and Stannis Baratheon giving out orders. And he was like, yes. All of the disappointing endings in everything, get them all in there. So, uh, yes. I see also the first images of uh, Matt Smith coming back from the Game of Thrones prequel House of Dragons series is kind of coming through. Yeah, and and that's going to be awesome because... That's that's what I said. So the ending will have soured your taste, but everyone's still going to tune in. The people who tune into Game of Thrones are going to watch that. And then on top of that, we've got Amazon uh, pitching the most expensive TV series of all time, The oh, Lord of the Rings. Rings TV. That started filming now, so that's ready. Mm. Well, it's not ready. It's, it started filming. It's a good time to be in TV. As, and then obviously you're looking at COVID. Some of the movies just they've put out on streaming. They've decided to cut the losses. Uh, Mortal Kombat's coming out this week. I think it'll be out by the time that we... Yeah, it's already out in America, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be, in, it'll be on a Sky Sky Store. It was Amazon, one of them. So that'll be out. So again, I think these companies are, are cutting their losses. Do you, do you think as well that with the advances of technology, CGI, you know, visual effects, also transitioning to the small screen, it means you can be bigger, bolder, braver with your storylines? Oh, do you know what? I was like, that's the point I was going to say. Because you've got longer, you can take risks. Mm. And I love a risk. I love a risk when it pulls out. Um, Sherlock Holmes when it went for its uh, third or fourth series and it brought in the sister. That was good. That was a bit different. I enjoyed mm. that. It took a shot, took a bit of a different turn. Yes, take your risks. Because I think sometimes you can, you know, have this wildly imaginative series in your, you know, vision. Maybe it's, I'm thinking sci-fi, you know, with it, which involves, involves, sorry, many moving parts, you know, like planets and aliens and all that kind of stuff. And I think now because technology is so much better and prosthetics and makeup and, you know, Doctor Who's a real pioneer of this. I think it's sort of campy. Yeah. Yeah. Evolving into actually a really good drama, a really good uh, TV series. When uh, Whitaker took over, he, he went to movie budgets. I remember mm. the first, maybe the second episode where they go back to, um, the civil rights movement in America. It was like watching a movie mm. to the point where they had the movie ratio on, you know, on the screen and it, it put me off because I quite enjoyed the campiness of, you know, a, Ricky Gervais in tinfoil <laughs> being a worm. <laughs> you know, that sort of shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mate, uh, so I'm good, yeah. 
Let me hear. Oh, that's, 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 that, that's that covered. Eight, eight minutes in. <laughs> but no, I just, I think TV is brilliant. There's yeah. a lot of questions coming from there. And it's not slowing down because obviously, no, the last year productions or movies have slowed down, whereas TV is, is rocketed up because mm. it's more local, I guess. There's not much location uh, shooting. What's the, what, what episode do you give a series before you think this isn't for me? Three, four. The reason I say now four, it used to be three. It's four. Is because I've noticed some people will let the th- the first three go out and get you get you your appetite wet, mm. and then they'll put a weak one on the fourth. Yeah, so, and that's that's always a series. The problem with TV series is they've got the beginning, and sometimes they've got the end. Now the perfect example would be twenty four. They know how their big first event is going to be, and they know how it's probably going to end. But there is eight hours where they don't have a flipping clue what to go. 20, uh, series 6 a nuclear weapon went off on in episode 4 it was like where do we go from here I oh, yeah. fucking know I do not have a clue <laughs> the boardroom yeah, the just way- loads of scenes <laughs> of people talking yeah I think they had his brother in it and you're just like wow they've they've watched their neighbours yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it goes by season 1 of 24 doesn't it it was like uh, his daughter's been kidnapped three times in this season well, it's like, <laughs> in episode like 19 19 hours in his wife's got amnesia like what the <laughs> hell I loved, I loved how they set themselves up for failure in season 1 is because of the time difference they really wanted to be organic. It means that all the government workers work in a building with no windows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just, such, I imagine that place fucking stank. It's <laughs> just distraction from, from work. <laughs> it's like Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. CTU is the worst employer going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh. I, God, I miss them. Got that golden age of, of twenty four season one. If I was Jack Bauer, I'd be like, "Fuck, so going to happen? Why? Because it's nearly the on the hour. Yeah. Everything <laughs> happens on the hour. <laughs> you've got that brilliant. You've got that brilliant uh, season one where where everything's you know everything's time limited. It's, it's, they're actually time is a factor. I believe the last six episodes is the final fight because he refuses to go to him, so he teases him. Mm. He spends six hours trying to get back somewhere. Or I'm fairly certain they write the character Tony Almeida out because he's got to go to Division, which is two hours away. So you don't see him for like four episodes. Yeah. Whereas uh, season four, yeah, done with that. No. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm 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 here now. <laughs> Deal <laughs> I, with I it. Teleported. <laughs> <laughs> Logic and bollocks. Oh, TV says we should do it. So we we were we were toying with the idea of doing a few episodes called "Sorry You're on My Sofa." We were, which yeah. was going to be like just TV orientated. So our favorite TV shows and. You know, I think... Uh, Memory, storylines, everything that yeah. we remember. We Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll launch that. We are in May, and May is our movie poster month. So all through May on social media, we're showcasing our favourite movie posters, and we've got off to a blinding start already. Indiana Jones is, you know, today. Um, we've also had Science of the Lambs, which yeah. I think is easily one of... Like, I just remember that poster, younger, being like, that's a horror movie. Like, it, just straight away, it, I was like, that's a horror movie. Like... <laughs> Use your first memory when you walk past it. It says Silence of Lambs. You go, that's a moth, idiot. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit weird, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Start off with the thing. Which mm. is the thing the thing terrifies me. It just, if you can get over the fact it's not a deep sea diver, <laughs> then you're in for a treat. Yeah. Oh, good. But horror, in particular, horror movie posters are a little bit special, aren't they? They normally got the really cool, like, tagline don't watch this alone. You know, um, go with a friend. Don't walk home after seeing this movie. Like, just brilliant, like setting you up for for you know the horrors that are going to come from it. I, I I think over the course of this month, I wouldn't be surprised if horror dominates. I was dominates. I wouldn't be surprised if the eighties or the early nineties dominate as yeah. well because they were some of the best. And I even got I haven't even got round to some of my favorites. I, I I haven't seen it in a while, but I'm fairly certain one of my favorite movie posters of all time is Big Trouble in Little Chinatown. Mm. I absolutely love that poster, and it, and do you know what? I love the artistry 
Mm. It's so much, and everyone's getting involved. Everyone's tagging us in their favorites, like the Terminator, which no surprise that he's going to come up at some point uh, yeah. because you mentioned it <laughs> yeah. before May. So there's a lot to that sort of coming. It's really nice to see people get involved. I don't know if it's worth doing a chart, see fave best movie poster of all time. Maybe we could turn it into a bit of a tally, a bit of a Ooh. poll, see what we can do. Yeah. Um, if this is your first time, welcome. We get around the mics each week to talk about a different movie topic Normally or theme. quicker than this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've done 142 episodes before this one. And uh, each week we take on a different topic or theme. And if you like this show, don't forget to like it, subscribe. And if you do subscribe, you'll get a new episode every week for free to listen whenever you want to. Um, but yeah, reach out to us on social media. If you do like listening to it, let us know uh, if there's uh, an episode you want us to cover or a film you want us to cover. If you want to be on a show, just reach out. Nice segue though, because talking about the small screen, the person we're going to talk about today started on the small screen and transitioned in a big way onto... Huge. Huge way, yeah. And um, basically had the principles. Like if you think about it, we look at now that they didn't think that they could make it on the big screen. They thought they were the wrong actor for this genre. Mm. They broke the walls down. They allowed a small TV actor to make it big on the big TV, you know, comedic, romantic comedy, big action hero. Ooh, so much teasing. Who could it possibly be? We're talking about Walter Willis. The great Walter Willis. Pioneer, producer, music, actor. He's done it all. <laughs> yeah. Those three things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was four yeah. as well. Was it? Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, you do. Human. There you go. He's a human as well. <laughs> you, you, you go, actor, producer, Musician? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only reason I know this is because uh, for your birthday once I bought you his album. I still have it. Yeah, and I have uh, Respect Yourself What's it? on vinyl. What's it called? Uh, leave it to Bruno. No, Return of Bruno. And uh, <laughs> where Bruno been, we don't know. But he came back apparently and he did an album. <laughs> yes, if you didn't know Bruce Willis has a couple of albums out, they are a treat. You listen to that man on the harmonica and I tell you, once is enough. <laughs> But, I mean, everyone knows Under the Boardwalk, right? That was a big hit when he, when I, he released that. I hear it, but I don't know if that's because you've then put, played it for me. I mean, Respect Yourself was in the top five of the Billboard chart for, for bloody weeks. It, I mean, it, so it, was you know, Friday by Rebecca Blackman. That's, that's not... We can't we can mock, but, you know, I suppose he's an established musician, isn't he? And you know what? You know, his, his music love um, it, it runs so deep that he'll even make a, a commercial flop of a movie based on a song that he liked, Hudson Hawk. It's inspired by a song, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah, inspired by a, a friend of his who wrote a song that they then turned into a movie. And I think the guy who wrote Street Fighter um, converted it into Hudson and Hawk in night in the early nineties, ninety one or whatever it was. And it was one of the biggest commercial flops of all time. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, full it's stop. It's got this really weird backstory, Hudson Hall. We'll get to it because we'll probably go through this chronologically. But, but, um, but we're not just filmographies. We're not, we're not just going to go through his films and talk about what we liked and liked. I don't think we're, we're moviegoers today. I think we're investigators. Oh, we do have a bit of a discovery towards the end of the show, haven't we? That we, we do. We're, we're looking for something. Yeah, we'll find it. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Pretty early, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Introduction, if you don't know who Bruce Willis is, well, uh, what are Bruce Willis? So, on... A quiet night in 1955, West Germany, James. Ooh. Marlene Castle and David uh, Willis. Welcome to the world, little Walter Bruce Willison. Uh, from this moment, March 19th, it's forever known as Yippie Kaye Day. Taking little Walter back to the US, little did they know, his parents, what would happen next. Little Willis would become interested in drama and performing arts, actually to help remove a stutter. That's so, cool. Yeah, so Bruce Willis has a stutter which growing up. He found that learning plays and learning scenes and stuff like that helped with stutter, and that's how he kind of transitioned into it. Um, did one year at university, dropped out. That's what I like about Willis. He knew he took. He's like three years. Pff, 
Learn it in one, mate. <laughs> I've got all I need in that first year. Um, As someone who went to university with threes, I wish I dropped that after <laughs> one. So. Uh, what has happened next? So he goes to New York. He starts uh, starring in some small off-Broadway roles. Until that's he's... weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't see that. But you know what? That's that's on me. Do you, know, do you know when he actually did finally get into Broadway? So bear in mind, this was in the early 80s when he went on off-Broadway. So some of the kind of off-street... Uh, theaters. Do you know actually when he made his Broadway debut? No, 2015. Oh, in misery. As a, as a way, I imagine to go back and be like, I did it. And yeah, then everyone will be like, No, <laughs> you should have come back. back. Well, it was 2015, Bruce Willis. So yeah. the response was, Oh, the best Bruce Willis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, res- <laughs> the response was an empty auditorium. <laughs> no, so uh, so he's working bar in uh, in uh, New York City. He gets discovered by a casting director who's looking for a bartender for a scene, uh, and the rest is movie history. That he started doing some uncredited roles. Actually, in an interview, what's really interesting is John Goodman, before he was wow. famous, yeah. used to attend the bar that Bruce Willis was the bartender of, and sang pra- praises of him, saying he was. New York's best bartender. Oh, that's cool. That apparently Bruce Willis could hold a crowd all evening. He, like in the palm of his hand, he was entertaining, charming, you know, music playing. He was like everyone's friend. John Goodman drank there. Um, yeah, so it's easy to see why a casting director sees him and goes, actually, we need, we've got a very small part. Do you want to come audition for it? Um, does a load of uncredited roles and then really kind of hits it big when he uh, is cast in Moonlighting. Yeah. Opposite Sybil Shepherd. So again, a really weird story of going to an audition uh in a in an army outfit with Spikey here for a role where he's playing a detective and somehow got the part. Out of three hundred people got the part. A part that uh, w- the TV series was about to get shit canned by saying it's unmakeable, this TV show. <laughs> They're actually gonna pay everyone to not do it. And this and this comes from a town that brought you uh, vanilla and bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> Go back a few episodes to find out about that gem. <laughs> But uh, three years after doing Moonstruck, um, Moonlighting, sorry, not Moonstruck, that was a different film. That was Moon- a, <laughs> a share one an Oscar for that, didn't yeah. you? Uh, in his time off from that, doing a few small movies, did a movie with uh, Kim Basinger in the last, but it was really until 88 when um, he would play the role of a lifetime, the Saint John McClane, who single-handedly took down a group of terrorists in an LA skyscraper. Um, it was a risk. It really was a risk to put him in that role. It, yeah, I, we've done a Die Hard episode. So we, have. We, we, we And I should say, right at the front of this, we're not going to talk about Die Hard today, other than the same. No, dude, yeah. It is the greatest movie. It's his greatest movie. It's one of the best action movies. It's probably my favourite movie ever made. So off the off the table today. So a lot of the things we're going to say is, well, apart from Die Hard, I yeah. imagine we're going to say that quite a few times. But um, the, yeah, I mean, it was a risk. Obviously, it's a... Uh, it's a big action. It's John McTerman. You know, he's worked with some like big Hollywood, uh, Hollywood actors. Everyone it's, turned the movie down as well. You look yeah. at Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Kurt Russell, even Frank Sinatra, who played John McClane previously. Yes. Um, and, then, and then just to be like, take a, take a punt. But, the, but well, they didn't like sacrifice, you know, anything else like budget or anything. I think he's the great opposite as well to like the thespian Hans Gruber. You know, he's the working collar man. It does work in this film. And maybe, and you know what? History says that he's the right choice because you can't imagine another actor in this role. But, but at the time, you must imagine that those producers were thinking, shit, this and is a punt. paid him more than most actors were getting at that time. Is it because they were just desperate for the charisma? Well, they, so it's a five million he got for it. And overnight, when that news hit Hollywood, all leading men... Uh, we're up to five million after that movie. Because <laughs> if if the git from Moonlight, can you yeah, get it? <laughs> pretty pretty much, yeah. That was that that became the um, you know the staple salary, you know. For, and I, I'm you know speaking honestly of, of male salaries. So obviously it would take years before um, 
females would start, you know, uh, actresses would start to earn anything like what a male act is earning. But at the time, yeah, five million was what he got for it. Yeah. So uh, what, what a changing year for Hollywood and for himself. I mean, from there, he'd go on to do 136 acting credits. Um, and he's in <laughs> Some the- of them, okay. <laughs> and he's in the top high uh, ten highest grossing actors of all time. That you see now that's that's a statistic that blows the mind. Two point five billion his movies equate to. I, do you know what? I can't get my head around that. As we've already said, the actor, writer, producer, and musician has electrified filmography. Sorry, not electrified, eclectic <laughs> filmography <laughs> under his belt. From Hollywood action star, dark comedies, indie films, sci-fi, and whatever the fuck cop out was, Bruce Willis lends his hand to anything. Anything, James. He'll be in anything, James. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Do you know what? He, he, to think of Luke, uh, Luke Cage, to think of Nick Cage, but without the passion. Because <laughs> <laughs> you say whatever you want about Nick Cage, he'll give 110% in a film where he's babysitting a dog. <laughs> d- d- no, mate, I'll always remember. I'll always remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bruce Willis will save the world, but act like he's babysitting a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remembered... No, do you know what? We'll get onto it because when we go through his filmography, I, I've got a crowning turd. <laughs> I, I like so Bruce Willis. I'm going to put it out there. I love the guy. I, I love his movies. I particularly love his 80s, 90s, and early 2000s stuff. And it, anyone who listens to the show regularly, it does. It is a bit of a reoccurring joke that now he is the laziest man in Hollywood. Yeah, and and I think you've just summed up brilliantly. Nick Cage will put 100, 110, 120. He'll put Nick Cage He'll into put every Nick movie. Nick Cage percent. <laughs> Bruce Willis will say yes to the same level now, but will not bring anything no. to the table. And I've watched so many Bruce Willis, and it breaks my heart that that is the guy, you know, from Die Hard and all these movies. I love Fifth Element. Yeah. Even Armageddon, when I was that age, I thought was an incredible movie. Not so much now, but, you know, it, 12 Monkeys, all these movies, I grew up, Pulp Fiction. God, there's so many of these films that we're going to talk about, you know, that I loved growing up. And now to just see him phone these performances in, and not even that really. It's not even that. It's that he shits them out so quick as well. Now he's he's now a universal printing machine for bollocks. Yeah, well, he's just keeping them bargain bins full in it. <laughs> someone's go. <laughs> someone's go. The guy. <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing at my own joke. They're gonna make later. Um, yeah, he's he's he is now the top name in the bargain bin. Yeah, when that used to be like Stallone or maybe uh, Dennis Quaid. Cigar Dennis Quaid. Seagal, no, no, no one beats Seagal for the, for the bargain bin. <laughs> because, because he lives in the bargain bin. He should have his own, should have his own bin, the Seagal bin. <laughs> it should be outside with the rest of the trash. <laughs> yeah, all right, um, I agree with that. But every, as with every episode of this podcast, when we make jokes and stuff like that, I still love the guy and I will still watch their movies. I will cringe at the bad ones, but I will always, always love the good ones. Is it, in your opinion, is it worth the bad to get to the good? Uh, no, it's it's it's, it's not. Some of the bad is bad, but it, what it, it, I mean, the thing is, the good is so great. It, it, iconic. It's so great, iconic. Yeah, he's the I, best of the best. For me, Bruce Willis is always going to live in those kind of eighties, nineties, and two thousand, early two thousand movies. These the stuff he's doing now is, you know, doing his kitchen each year or a new yeah. new house in America, whatever he you just know, wants to go on holiday for a bit. Yeah, the house. it's a hobby now. <laughs> It's a hobby when he's not wearing his MAGA hat and <laughs> it's, it's, or on the golf course. It's just something he does, you know what I mean? Like, but it, you know, critics have not always been uh, kind or rallied behind him. We've already talked about Hudson Hawk was a huge financial loss. Um, and in later years, Bruce Willis has grown a reputation of being somewhat lazy in Hollywood. But who can blame him? He's been at the top for so long. This is the weird thing. You've got to think, he has been at the peak that any profession, acting or whatever it is, 
the tiniest percentage of humans will ever get to the top of their career yeah. choice. And he was there for so long and falling and then getting back and falling and getting back. It was just a matter of time before it was going to start going downhill. You can't be at the top forever. The world is evolving. Cinema has evolved. He hasn't evolved with it. Yeah, we've evolved. We no longer want to see the bold janitor take mm. on an alien species. You know, we want to see something different. Yeah, we and young. You want to see younger people. You want to see. You, you know, see the next generation. You want to see. You want to see someone take a chance like they did with Bruce Willis. You want to see. You want to see the guy from Skins be an action hero. You know, Dave Patel give him a minigun. That's what we want next. But that. But that's the thing, though. Is cinemas changed. You know, younger cinemas, uh, younger people are going to cinemas and are the driving force and they want to see people they relate to. So Bruce Willis at this age isn't going to be that leading man in cinemas. He's not, you know, and it, it breaks my heart, but he, he has to pass on the baton at some point, you know, and I think that's ever so changing. When Bruce Willis came up the ranks, you know, um, sneaking in at the tail end of the 80s, as you've already described earlier, he's the, he's the average Joe, he's the working man. He's the hero with a receding hairline the relatable character, unfortunately he's not anymore, but we've still got them amazing memories to, to hold on to. And I suppose today's podcast is about celebrating the goods, uh, the great and the irredeemable performances of Bruce Willis. It is. Yeah. So uh, a couple of Bruce Willis facts to get started with. We've already covered some. Bruce Willis was the highest paid actor at the time of 5 million. And then all of a sudden that became the staple salary. Um, already talked about, he was a New York bartender and John Goodman was a, a patron of that uh, at that bar and John, just sings his praises. That makes me love John Goodman so much mm. more. I love John Goodman. There's Bruce Willis has gone through those hyper-violent action movies to uh, indie films, which I love as well. He's done a couple of Wes Anderson movies. Um, but, you know, you look at a movie like Pulp Fiction, only on screen for 22 minutes, but all 22 minutes are memorable. Yep. Incredibly well-crafted character in that. Um there's the story that I've already told in this podcast, but for, if it's a new time listener, but it's well known that uh, he was leading uh, on a movie called The Broadway Brawler in the late 90s, where uh, through the height of his fame and power, because uh, he's a he's a tycoon, I suppose, in the movie industry, him and Demi Moore at the time were just a power couple, yeah. fired just about everyone on set, producers, directors, everyone on the, on the set of this movie, which was about a hockey player falling in love or a retired hockey player falling in love. And it was, yeah, The Broadway Brawler. So much so that the company uh, lost, Disney lost, I think it was 25 million alone before they'd even started filming. So then he had to sign up to a free movie deal. Yes, he look, did. Look what happened when he brought out Armageddon, The Kid and The Sixth Sense. Mate. All at a reduced rate. So he didn't get his staple at that time, you know, 15 plus million. He did it for, you know, a mere one or two million to pay back the studio. Um, had his own TV series. I think we always forget about Bruno The Kid. Yeah, you're right, we do. <laughs> the so much old, I've forgotten about it. <laughs> the 11-year-old spy that's, that sounds shockingly like a 40-year-old man. <laughs> um, lost two-thirds of his hearing in his left ear because of in the movie Die Hard, uh, even though he played a detective and uh, in you know in, in the TV series um, Moonlighting. Moonlighting, no one told him not to hold the gun so close to his face when he fired it and yep. lost the hearing in one of his ears. That's the under-the-table scene where he kills Marco, the guy that's the slowest guy to ever reload a gun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> gone, but not forgotten. <laughs> R.I.P. Marco. <laughs> gone out the window. And do you know what? I'm going to put him second best after John Spencer in Copland because who raises the gun, who shoots at the sun to reload their gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Bruce Willis, he's incredibly interesting and hopefully we'll get into some good Bruce Willis discussion today. 
Where do you want to start? Do you want to go to his early career? Let's go to his early career because I do you know what we're talking about Bruce Willis, but I don't know anyone that's been so inconsistent that's got so lucky to be where he is because the man will do greatness. Now, I remember I remember his starring role as man entering diner in the first Deadly Sin, his first big screen performance. But no, obviously after Die Hard, he was hot. The next year, look who's talking. Mm. Followed the voice, and do you know what? Do you think that sort of thing there? That's what you're talking about. He's going back to his roots. Now, when we talk about um, Bruce Willis, we're talking about like the action hero he is now. But he went back to Look Who's Talking, which is, is his staple, his comedy. He's making people laugh. He, he is a very charismatic guy. He would turn on, he could turn an audience on with his charm. You know, a cheeky wing. Why did we love him in Die Hard? And shows like, it's because he wasn't like the, he was the one-liner. But Arnie used to say the one-liner, you know, muscles oiled up. Wisecracking. Bruce would wisecrack it and you'd laugh. You'd be like, oh, you boogie, you, you yeah. cheeky one. Even if them jokes didn't really make sense. Yeah. You know, like, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. Yeah. Still confuses me <laughs> all these years later. But, um, but, but so, the the basically, and I do I think he's underrated. I really like the look who's talking about. John Travolta teaming up with a, with a, I can't remember her name, bugger, Kirstie Allen. Mm. And uh, she's a, uh, Pregnant, has gives us baby, and you hear the inner voices from uh, Bruce Willis. And do you know what? I quite like it. So I have a fifteen-week-old kid, and I think in Bruce the head Willis, of Bruce yeah. Willis's head, yeah. Even though she's a girl, Bruce Willis's voice. Here's the thing, though: Would you ever rewatch really Who's Talking? No, I oh. thought about it because I because I completely forgot there was a third one with the dogs talk. Yep, I've seen that one. Danny DeVito voices one of the dogs, <laughs> the male one. That's why I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did want to go back, but, but that was that was when Kirstie Allen and John Trott really needed some money for drugs, mate. Well, <laughs> they would sign up for anything. Then well, it's funny because it's 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 got that scene in it where John Trott goes round and um, coffee's black and he can't find any milk and he sees the breast milk on the table and he he just squirts some in his coffee and you know it, it's just one of them films that I remember scenes from that I was like, but I can't remember. And this is going to come up in a few of these films. I know I've seen it. Yeah. I know certain scenes from it, but I cannot remember what the overarching storyline was. I can't remember why the kids had an inner monologue that was Bruce Willis and what so kind of he, dilemma. I don't know. So I recall is that he's an unplanned pregnancy. It's a one night stand and they resort to get together because I don't know, but I believe in the second one, John Travolta wins his family back uh, by uh, dancing in a playground. Do you remember that? No. At some point there's a dance in the playground. I swear to God there is. It might be the third one. It doesn't matter. Anyway, look who's talking. So, and then he comes back with, and then, and then the next year, it's what we call sequel year, 99. It's Die Hard 2. <laughs> well, it's because we're out of the 80s, into the 90s. You've got to make people remember the films. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I said, we've talked about Die Have we talked about Die Hard 2? We haven't. Um, well, let's, let's, let's cover Die Hard now. Let's get it done. So when all the others pop yeah. up, because we did Die Hard 3, I think. Um, I think we did the trilogies we did, one. We did trilogies. We have skipped two. So the second one is pretty much the same story, isn't it? But he, again, his wife's cracking, put him in a slightly different situation. His jokes make slightly more sense this time. The action's a bit redonkulous, having a fight with 50... Like, he is a cop, not a trained killer like the people he's fighting in this. That's yeah. a bit weird. Um, these sort of people do judo in front of the TV naked. You know, they're not. But he's an everyday man. He's still the everyday man. He doesn't... He gets lucky. He's he doesn't outthink it. Wrong place. Wrong place. Right yeah. place, wrong time. Yeah, so it's exactly the same. It's okay. He's trying to save Holly Gennaro, who just happens to be in the sky with, with fucking William Atherton, because obviously it was the 80s, he's got to be in it. Oh, it's the no. 90s now. Right, this film is locking up. <laughs> it's just <laughs> broken the rules of the 80s. I, it's okay. I do, I do think it's one of the weak... It's well, worth a revisit every now and again, Dial 2. There's a couple of set pieces that are pretty good. The, yeah. the whole snowmobile fight scene and... 
you know, ejecting out of the plane when all the grenades go in. And, you know, there, there are some set pieces that I'm, I actually, you know, the whole end sequence I think is really good. You know, the runway scene, I, I still think holds up. And he's exa- and he's good in it. Yeah. He's not, he's not a bad thing. In it. He's, you know, he carries on the, the John he's McClane. consistent. Oh, this, this is the thing. It's a natural progression of John McClane's character, which the later Diode films don't have. Oh, they fuck right Diode up. 5, that's not John McClane anymore. I'll be honest, I don't think, it, it just starts in Diode 4, but let's not get into it. No, I, I am, a, I, I like Last Jedi. No, not, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a bit of a defender of, um, the fourth one. The fourth one. No, I like the fourth one, but he's not, John McClane's like throwing like cars at, He's the, the idea is in the first one, he's the average man. Mm. He's the cop. You know, he's doing what he can, but he's not superhuman. And then the third one starts pushing it when he like rides a, <laughs> when he rides a truck through a water drain. That's, for an that, aqueduct. What are you on about? Uh, that's pushing it. But then the fourth one, he's like launching cars at fucking helicopters. You're thinking, yeah, <laughs> I don't, yeah, but it's, but it's like, you know, it's 2000 yeah. now. Everything's got to be bigger, bolder, braver, and just more stupid because the, James, we were talking about this, the audience is younger. And they want know, more. And, and we need more, James. We need we need explosions. We need crazy. We need you know, the rock is, you know, pulling down helicopters with his biceps. Yeah, all right. I, Superhero movies are strong. You know, it's it's the it was a product of the time. It's the fifth one where he actively puts civilians in danger from driving a Land Rover over other people's cars to get to a villain. You're like, John McClane wouldn't do that. Yeah. The whole point is that, you know, he was a protector of people. He did he didn't want to, he was an anti-hero, which I always loved about the character as well. He was only doing it because he was there, you know, in a wrong place, you know, wrong time kind of stuff. But that fifth one just got silly and stupid. But that's but again, that's not his fault because that's what the you don't like the character as much. But that's the driver. That's the drive force of the ride. That's the direction. That's not him. His performance. Is, yeah, he's not good. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. In the second and the third one, it's, it's I one, two, and three. John McClane's character, perfect. It's still, it's the constant, it carries on. I love the third one. We've talked about it. Please go back and see that episode where we did Die of Revenge, a bit of a play-by-play. Talked about why it's one of our favourite uh, trilogy films. Um, but no, it's consistent. I really like it. Um, so you're the same as me, one, three, four, two, five. Yeah, do you know what? I haven't actually seen five fully. I, I The bit where, I know it's early on, but you know the bit where he finds his son? Mm. Yeah, yeah, stop after that. Because <laughs> I was... When it was in, isn't it Kai Courtney? Kai I was like, yeah, yeah I'm done. <laughs> <There> is, <laughs> I'm done. Now. It's later. worth getting to the end when they go to Chernobyl, and there is a final set piece that is it's pretty exquisite actually. Like there's a there's a helicopter scene at the end, which is filmed actually really quite well. Yeah, um, rid- ridiculous and stupid and over the top. But the, I remember being in the cinema, being like, yeah, those weird. effects are pretty good actually. And they're in Chernobyl, and he even looks across to him, and he and he like and Jack Courtney's like, don't worry, like the radiation is not going to do anything to you. But then they do go in a swimming pool that I imagine that water's been in there for like decades. You're like, that that would probably kill you quick. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm surprised they come out of it with like a, knee, out it, yeah. a knee on his ear. <laughs> so, so diet, so let's, let's not do diet because it would just, it would just become a di- another diode episode. Uh, look who's talking to. Uh, you know what? I'm now in your territory. They stop blurring things into each other. Now, I would like, 1991 was not a good year for him. I've, I've, I don't recall Mortal Thoughts. I don't know about you. And Vampire I'm, Vanities is the one that he did with Tom Hanks. That's a bad film. Yeah, it's the Kim Cattrall's in that as well. All I recall is, it, I believe it was one of the first films to sweep a lot of all of the Razzies. It was like one of the worst films. Mm. Which is a shame because I believe this is the, one of the first times as well he was, uh, you know, sharing screen time with a, with a great. Mm. And it, by then, Tom Hanks was well on his way to being a great. And Kim Cattrall had survived, you know... Um, Mannequin. So someone must have thought that she was on the she, she was, she <laughs> I was like on the control. Like more so every time she's on a talk show, I think she's funny. She's, yeah, she is funny. she's entertaining. 
Um, born in Liverpool. Born in Liverpool. She, yeah. yeah, she's a Merseyside lass. However, she, she made mannequin. In case anyone <laughs> hasn't... never forget that. <laughs> in case anyone hasn't seen Mortal Thoughts, though, it is worth reminding people, two detectives interrogate a hairdresser on two homicides that she may or may not be involved in. Like, I mean, could, right, Samuel, where, where do I watch this movie? Isn't that the definition of a suspect? <laughs> it's like any film could be like that. I was like, you may or may have not have done something to do with this. But um, but then we've actually got a bit of like critical like panning here because The Last Boy Scout, which I is a remake of the Spaghetti Western um, Fistful of Dollars. Uh, he comes into town and plays two warring families. Oh, that's not the last no, boy. You're, you're, no, you're last man standing you're talking I about. I am talking about. I don't recall last boy. You're going to have to help me with last that's boy That's the one with the, one of the Waynes in it. And it's the one where all the way through it, he's like, if I solve this case, I'm going to dance the jig and it ends at the NFL game. Oh, you do want to make you on your own? I don't think I've seen it. It's a really good film. And also, I'll give you more trivia, James. It's played on the TV when Mel Gibson is being... Um, oh, dude, you've told me this before. Talk, oh, is well, he is it a lethal weapon film? Yeah, I'll, he, I'll, I'll leave it there then. Oh, but yeah, okay. no, um, yeah, yeah. Last Boy Scouts are not a bad movie actually. With Damon Wayne's a bit of a kind of like mismatch duo having to come together to, to solve a case, and it all boils down at a sporting event. It's it's hyper violent. Like a bad guy gets the main bad guy. I don't, I still don't know the physics behind it, but they're fighting in the rafters of a sports stadium. Yep, and he falls yep. onto the blade of a helicopter that. I do you hey? know why the helicopter is below him? Did he fall up? <laughs> oh, that's it. That's the, yeah. yeah, that's this movie, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, again, it's one of the movies that I kind of stand by. That it's, it's hyper-violent and over the top. And it's Damon Wayne's. you know. But he was the best Wayne's. Yeah. At the time. At the time, yeah. He's insane. Last Boy Scout's good. Uh, Hudson Hawk, though. Terrible. Yeah, was, he's also a writer on that. <laughs> Just trying your head in shame. But not consistently. I don't. I don't remember what to talk other than being he wears a hat in it, and he's kind of a dick. Yeah, so he's the jewel thief who steals from the Vatican. I don't. Are you supposed to like him? Because it. Because it. In a film, and I remember I don't like him. But if you stole from the Vatican, who at the time were not very nice, <laughs> I just remember thinking you failed as a movie. Richie Grant's in it. I think. I can't remember. More. I think Richie Grant's <laughs> the villain because he's British. You need a strong British voice. I. Th- I think I'm right. God, I've done my research for this one, haven't I? Do you know what? In 1989, there was a mockumentary he, when he called That's Adequate, which when I was reading up for this episode, I really wanted to watch. It's, it's like a fake, it, there's a fake film studio. That sounded the fun. And they, they all did these interviews about making movies. That did sound like a lot of fun. I always wanted to watch that. Uh, this film's out on Netflix right now. Death Becomes Her. Love it. Love this film. I loved it as a child, but it's one of those things that is like, I, I liked to, uh, oh, you liked some bollocks when you were a kid. I'm nervous. I don't want to go back to it. That's a dangerous, do- dangerous sentence, that is. I like some bollocks when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch me. <laughs> do you know what? You're not allowed to do that anymore. You're not allowed to shame me. Um, but I, I remember, I remember all the big things. Like one of them's got a, uh, one of the ladies got a hole in her. The other one's got her neck twisted round. Yeah. And I know he plays a cheating bastard, but you've, you're on his side. I do remember he, he wears a lot of prosthetics for this. Does he really graze up like like someone's dumped all the flour in the world on him? Yeah, it's one of them. They try, I think they kind of made him look a bit older. But yeah, it's the immortality movie, isn't it? Yeah, where two rivals after the heart of Bruce Willis. And I think um, <laughs> the most unbelievable thing about this is two rivals for Bruce Willis. <laughs> But Goldie Horn at the time, I remember growing up, Goldie Horn was awesome. Oh, Just, she was, yeah. We, we we talked about this a few times with like, particularly women in comedy, um, you know, and some of the outstanding performances. And nowadays, you know, you look at someone like, we talked about this, Melissa McCarthy, didn't we? And saying like, in the right movie with the right script, oh, she's yeah. awesome. But she picked, but she but, only, well, she's in a lot of films that I let her down. I, I fell asleep during Thunder Force last night. 
Did you not even get to crab arms? I got to crab arms. I got was to it the, worth it? I got to the crab arms <laughs> bit, and then I think I thought I could fall asleep <laughs> I, now. I've peaked. I've, I've seen Jason Bateman with uh, <laughs> crab arms. This film ain't going nowhere else. <laughs> what did you think of crab arms? I actually quite enjoyed Jason Bateman with crab arms, James. I'm not going to lie. In fact, I'm not going to lie. I'd like to see him with crab arms in the next season of Ozark. <laughs> I don't know how they can. I don't know how they can get that in there, but I kind of want to see that. Did me too. Told. But um, always go back to Goldie Hawn. Fucking growing up was fucking awesome. She was everywhere as well, yeah. wasn't she? I I think I think we did an A's episode. Missed out on Goldie Hawn. I, I don't think um, she. I mean, here's the thing: she did great films as well. I, mm. I remember a lot of them. What's the one where she f- overboard? That was brilliant. I remember watching that as a kid, wishing she was my mom. And it's it's one of them weird, you know, comedy fantasy horror descriptions because it is you know like the, I remember as a kid watching this. This falls in the territory of movies like Beetlejuice, where. They were kiddie and funny and they had a very pokey opinion of death and, you know, played fun with it. But still, as a kid, it's still dealing with a very serious subject, you know, dying and, yeah. and death. And, you know, when, when one of them's got a fucking massive, I mean, Scotty Horn's got the giant hole in her stomach, um, the perfectly round shotgun blast and yeah. Ross Troop's got the twisted neck. It was dark, but at the same time entertaining and... I, I actually, I haven't revisited this movie for a long time, but I, you know, it was a 12. It was like, no, it was a PG. It was fucking... It was back in the day. Weird, isn't it? That you can get away with that. I, uh... Rich Willis sporting a moustache as well. Do you think you'd go back and watch it? I'll go on and I'll yeah, join I will. you. I'll join you. The next film is filmography that I love, and I would put in as one of the greatest cameras of all time. Loaded Weapon 1. And they shoot up his house. <laughs> it's still fucking hilarious to this day. I do you know I, mean? I don't even remember that much about the film. I remember Emilio Westervez. No, Samuel Jackson can't shoot straight. I remember him shaking. And I remember them the guys blowing up his house. And then he just falls out of the rubble. And he goes, he lives over there. That's <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Love that. And it's a good meme nowadays, isn't it? It is a good meme. Um, and then we're, and it, but we are dangerously close to some of the next year. When he did one of his best films, Pulp Fiction. Are oh, we skipping striking distance? I'm not saying that. Strike. James, I'm going to tell you right now, striking distance with Sarah Jessica Parker. Well, I'm done. I'm out. Right. <laughs> She's the opposite of Kim Cattrall. Like Kim Cattrall, I would listen to for hours. But forgive her for Mannequin. I will never forget. I will never forgive Sarah for anything. Anything she gets, no favours. He plays a policeman, so this is in his wheelhouse. But I know what you're thinking, James. I know what you're thinking. You're like, I've seen him as a policeman. Already I've seen Last Boy Scout, or I might have seen Dial, or Dial 2. Or Dial 3. You know, and I've seen him as a baby, but we're talking about policemen at the moment. <laughs> like... But don't worry, James, he's not just any policeman. He's a policeman on a river. He's a riverboat policeman. <laughs> don't even know where the story's going. He gets demoted to river duty. <laughs> like, well, at least they didn't send him to, like, LA. With a <laughs> three shot of rod. <laughs> You're on river duty in Las Vegas. There's no rivers there. Exactly. <laughs> Get out of here. No, he, he, he plays... So he's, he's on the river, James. He lives on the river. He's got like a so jaded re- past. He's been... He's, he's taunted by being framed. He's, you know, he's just... He's, his reputation's, you know, in tethers and the crimes are being committed on this river, James. <laughs> that was lucky, wasn't it? And, and he has to... Sub- now, if, I'll, but I'll put this out there, James. This movie came out in, what was it? 91, 92? Mm-hmm. Early 90s? Yeah. It opened and closed the river police genre. <laughs> because no one could perfect it. No one could beat that. <laughs> Bruce Willis and Sarah Jessica Parker nailed it. I saw this movie on BBC Two like late one night because again I was going through a phase. I was like Bruce Willis, how do I not know this movie? Then I watched it and I was like, this is probably why I haven't heard of this movie. But watched it once, James, and I can tell you right now, I never need to see another movie about a policeman guarding the river because this movie did it all. 
Does he have no jurisdiction if they got out of the river and just did the shady business he's on like, the river bank? He's on He's, like, <laughs> he's like, like Aquaman. Yeah. It's like, my levels are now done. Yeah. He doesn't have gills, James. <laughs> <laughs> he lives on land, you know. No, it's, it's just endless scenes of him going up and down on, on, on this, like, boat, you know, like... Uh, I know what you mean. It's, I, I've got, in my in the image of my head, it's one of them horrible boats with the awful sounding engine. Yeah. And he's just sat there bored. It's, it's, it's something to see. No, no, he looks like your oh. regular Bruce Willis in this film. Striking distance. So, um, I might watch that. It's got Tom Sizemore in it. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> Guess who the bad guy is, James? <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, Tom Sizemore? Yeah. No, that was when he was in movies. <laughs> What's next? Where are we? Um, now we're on Pulp Fiction, I believe. So Pulp Fiction. So, you know, everyone talks about, you know, 94, kind of like a rebirth. But I, I think... It, Phil Fuction was a rebirth for a lot of people, especially John Travolta. It was who, for John Travolta, yeah. John Travolta. I don't think people are expecting that much of um, Bruce Willis, and I think he steals the scenes. He's brilliant in it. And in the scenes that he's in, he holds them with Ving Reams. Um, he kills off a, char- a beloved character halfway through a film. A lot of shots. And he basically plays a boxer who cheats the mob and tries to get out of town before the mob come for him. And his uh, events happen. <laughs> I'm trying not to spoil the, the ending, that, uh, the bit that everyone knows. But it, a lot happens in the 22 minutes that Bruce Willis is in that movie. Yeah. Considering I would say a good 10 minutes of that is taken up with, of him and his missus talking about pancakes. Yeah. And and another eight minutes of him with a gag in his mouth. No, he doesn't have a gag in his mouth. Ving Reams has the gag in his mouth. Bruce Willis has a gag in his mouth for a short time, uh-huh. but then he ungags himself. Obviously, because he's Bruce Willis. Yeah. But uh, you can't gag Bruce Willis. People have tried. <laughs> the character of Butch is a scene stealer. Yeah, he's found out he's up there with Samuel L. Jackson, who are the driving force of this movie. The uh, the desire to escape, but that's the thing with the Travol- uh, Travolta movies. Um, Bruce Willis, that's who we're talking about, James. Yeah, no, no, Tarantino, no, Tarantino movies. Is that the storyline is secondary to the characters, mm. the characters' um, emotions, the characters' uh, successes and uh, failures? There's what defined the story. The story is is more contoured around the characters. That's why they have lots of uh, scenes we're not talking about, thing, i.e. pancakes. But that's really good. He holds the scenes really well. I believe he's a, I believe him. I believe he's gone through a lot. I, I believe that he's trying to rip off the mob. He's menacing. He's powerful. He owns the 22 minutes. He, you come out of the film thinking, who, who, wow, where's this performance been? Powerful. You, what I like about Tarantino as well, and, and I am a Tarantino fan. I'm a Tarantino fan. I'm not a fan boy, but I am a fan. And, there, there are them scenes, aren't there, where Ving Rooms is talking to him and he's basically like saying, you know, pride, don't, don't fuck about with pride. You know, it's like at the end of the day, you know, just take the hit, go down in the third, whatever it is, you know, that's pride fucking with you. That's all the kind of lines. That's actually cool. But yeah. But what I love about that whole scene is the camera is just on Bruce Willis and you, Ving Rooms is off camera talking and you just got Bruce Willis kind of like, you know, listening and kind of weighing up his options and his head is obviously thinking. And, and then when it cuts to the fight, you don't see any fight. You just see him jumping out the window. Yeah. And I think that's fucking pretty. It's just so good. Like, and then you've got these real high tension scenes. I remember watching Paul Fiction for the first time and the bit where he has to go back for his watch, you know, like yeah. that whole scene, you're like, this is, you, you know, it, it, that's that's the kind of the, the thriller bit. You know, that's the um, edgy seat moment, I guess, of the whole movie. And then... Pop and, toast. <laughs> yeah. Pop tart. Pop tart pops out and he sees the Uzi on the side and goodbye John Travolta, which again, like you say, was supposed to be Michael Madsen, but he turned it down to do a Western that no one saw. Yeah. But no, crowning achievement. Probably he's so far one of his up there with, you know, died. 
if we're removing Dar, so maybe that's your strongest. However, in the same year, you also was the narrator in a film called North, which might be the biggest load of bollocks I've ever seen. Uh, Elijah Wood divorces his parents, and Bruce Willis plays a narrator who constantly meets. The, f- the film is 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 awful. Like uh, Dan Aykroyd is, he kind of like dates parents, mm. and uh, so he goes to like Texas and sees uh, Dan Aykroyd. And Dan Aykroyd wants, oh, we're rich, we're all rich. You can come in and we'll make you lots of, we'll, we'll make you eat lots of food and you'll be as big as your big brother Buck. And he's like, oh, whose Buck is like, oh, it's our son who dies. And he's like, oh, it's paid for laughs. Not, it's not like they're trying to replace it. It's really shit film. And then like Bruce Willis shows up, and I'm not joking, dressed up as a rabbit in a carrot at one point, never explained. Tell to, me that's true. To offer North advice. Yeah, he just does that throughout the film, just show up. As a rabbit? He's not always dressed up as a rabbit. In one scene, he's dressed up as a pink rabbit eating a carrot and he's just offering North some advice. How have I not seen this movie? It's a shit. It's one of. It's a terrible film. I've seen Striking Distance. The the villain is a like a nine year old kid <laughs> who's trying to get North to officially divorce his parents because then it means children will have the power. I've not even heard of this film, let alone not seen it. And do you know what the worst thing about everything I'm saying is true? It's all true. Well, I remember seeing it as a kid, just thinking, just thinking. If I divorced my parents, they'd beat the shit out of me. <laughs> so next time I'm in the bargain bin, James, I know I'm going to look for North. Yeah. Um, did you see Colour of Night on Nobody's Fall? I did. I saw Colour of Night, mate. I think I see Colour of Night. Colour of Night. Colour of Psychologist. The, when I read the synopsis, I was like, why do I remember this? <laughs> yeah, so the, I'm going to put it out there because we're all human and we've all been, you know, Pulp Fiction, there's a shower scene where you, you see a bit too much of Bruce Willis in that scene. Or not enough. <laughs> Depending on which way you look at it. But there's a there's a very like... There's a line. The, the, Bruce Willis is alpha in that film you know he doesn't yeah. need to hide behind a towel no. you know he will show you the order that he dries himself and I'm pretty certain it's growing first face second a bit weird in my liking Bruce work your way down from the top alright <laughs> if if anyone wasn't satisfied with that I do remember watching um, was it Colour of Night and thinking well there's the rest of the Willis it's, <laughs> it's just there in an underwater sex scene that I did not need and cannot ever get out of my uh, my my mind now. Have you ever watched a movie and there's been a decent sex scene? <laughs> it's like other than not porn. in a swimming pool anyway <laughs> with Bruce but Willis in it. <laughs> if I just I remember thinking, why do they want to come in? Who goes to the cinema if we're on a date and just goes like that jacket? It's so odd, isn't it? Now, it's so odd now. You, yeah, it's so. Weird. I'm glad that that doesn't happen. It's like in the middle of an action film now. The, the, like soft music plays. That's it's like, just yeah. like I'm gonna do you. And then there's that really awkwardness where and the, the scene always shows when you're watching the film with someone else. You're just like oh. <laughs> Why is this password? And it's always someone that you're like, I don't want to see his ass. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, he's colorblind, James. He's colorblind. Colorblind. And is there a moral there? (laughs) No, oh, yeah, no, there is. It's literally that is, I mean, that's because that was the thing in 90s movies, wasn't it? It's like, They'll put something in the synopsis like that, you know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a he's a detective that can't feel one foot, yeah. <laughs> you know. And you're like, that's gonna come into the movie at some point. And this does in a scene where he thinks his uh, hands are covered in paint and they're covered in blood, James. Because <gasps> you won't believe it. The person that now nah, I'm not going to spoil it. No, it, I've I, seen it. It's a terrible. Movie. I just don't remember it. It's terrible. So I think this is the movie. I was thinking about this the other day. I think this is the movie where there's a character. I think he goes to a support group, right? And because he thinks he's being like targeted by a serial killer or, or whatever it is. And he goes to this support group and I'm pretty certain one of the people in the support group doesn't talk. And it's because they're, it's either a woman, but it's not, it's a man or it's a man that actually at the end, the big reveal is it's a woman. Oh, back in the, back in this era where transvestites were like the killers, like constantly. 
like everything. Yes. If basically, all right, good. But this is, I, I remember it being like, I remember as a kid even watching this movie and being like, oh, that person who's wearing the big shades and the big hat and is dressed yeah. all in black and not saying anything. The and, villain, it, and at yeah. the end it revealed, ah, oh, big twist. So he played a doctor in that? Yeah, psychiatrist, yeah. I don't remember it. Nobody's full? Uh, no, haven't seen that one. No. Um, next year, Die with Avengers. Done it. Go back and listen to that. Brilliant in it. Four Rooms. Not saying it. And 12 Monkeys, which I'd like to point out as a great film. I really like 12 Monkeys. It's a film that's on BBC iPlay still. I, I don't know if they own the rights to it or something. I constantly go back to uh, 12 Monkeys. He, he time travels from a, a dystopian future. Again, I believe it's uh, Gillum, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so he comes back from time. It's really weird because he, he's, he's paranoid, schizophrenic. That's what he's believed at the time. But I really like how they draw out that it's real. I think that's phenomenal. And the, the time play aspect of this is phenomenal. I really like the writing in this film. And Bruce Willis is good. He, he He's a good schizophrenic. He's a good believer. He's a good... And at the end, he, he becomes like a like a true believer as opposed to, you know, he's thinking he was mental. He, he, he goes through quite the acting spectrum in this. There's a lot of roles to fulfil in 12 Monkeys. And I think he actually is... This is a film that I would say, if someone were to say, oh, he only plays, you know, the cop, I'd be like, 12 Monkeys. Because he plays... He's a... He's, uh, stereotype is, is all over the place. You know, he's, he's, mm. he's the hero. He's, he just wants to get out. He's the prisoner. He's the patient. He's the redeemer. He plays quite a lot of uh, roles, archetypes in this. And Brad, Brad Pitt's really good in this movie. And Brad Pitt's fantastic in this. I, yeah, I like, I like Nightingale's Bruce Willis because he took, he took risks with movies like this. This, this was, you know, the, the smaller, the indie. Yeah. You know, it's a similar vein of Pulp Fiction. Some of the movies that we're talking about are, you know, you know kind of, I think he thought we're going to be blockbusters or his name was going to kind of certainly make them blockbusters and might not have always paid off. But then, you know, coming up, you know, things like Fifth Element, you know, working with the likes of like Luke Besson. It's very, I like these kind of movies going back, good or great or bad or whatever. I we say this every week. It's better to watch someone take a risk and, and give it a go. Um, yeah. You know, and sometimes fail. But I, I think I like to watch it. I had to watch it. I, I think I only kind of understood it like the third time I watched it. I remember the first yeah. time being like, I've fucking no idea what's happening here. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've always liked this film because it because of its aspect of the future and its time travel and the fact that it's realistic. The nobody's fool. Just going back to that when you said you hadn't seen it, just want to raise that. Um, I do know about that movie and I have seen it. So Bruce Willis is in it, and this, and there's a really cool Bruce Willis story around that. Is that because it's a Paul Newman movie? Yeah. Now Bruce Willis was in a Paul Newman movie back when he was the bartender struggling. And to get into Hollywood and he was cast because of his bartending skills as an uncredited role. Paul Newman obviously never knew who he was because yeah. it's just a, you know, a throwaway scene. So took this one up and I think was paid something like a thousand dollars a week. It wasn't about the money. It was about being back in a movie with Paul Newman. Oh, that's cool. And I think in an interview said it's because he wanted to, I think it was out of respect for Paul Newman. And it was like, I want to enhance, like I don't want to come in as Bruce Willis, like the, the action star or anything like that. I will want to come into, because this is Paul Newman's film. So he didn't do any press for it. His name's not on the poster. It was a poor, he, he was like, I'm just here purely to, as a like respect like and, yeah, and, and, and to elevate, you know, who at the time was, you know, obviously an aging legend in, in, in film. And it really is a character piece. It is, it's about his character. Um, so yeah, I do know nobody's fault. Oh, all right, cool. Um, last man standing. This, this is the Western. Yeah, but it's not as it's, it's, it's changed. It's, it's the remake of the, of the Western. It is, I believe it's in Prohibition times. He plays an Irish gang off an Italian mob. He's exactly the same. He's, he's no Clint Eastwood. He's not good as the nameless man. In it, he's devoid of charisma. 
he's just like a kind of like he's not he's not silent, but he is the archetype of he doesn't do much. He's you know passive, always thinking. And then at the end, he, he, there's a big shootout with Tommy. Goes, it's not a great film. I remember watching this. Being this was one of these films that I found. I saw Bruce Willis back when his name was. Uh, I don't like the guy. Back when his name was a selling point, I saw this in a bin. I was like, oh, that's mm. my standing. Bruce Willis has got a hat on it on the front page. I love it. <laughs> it's Bruce Willis, he's not He's not got a machine gun. Yeah. He's got a Tommy gun. Yeah, he's like, Range. Ooh, range. Historic. Range, historic yeah. drama. Um, very... William Sanderson, though, again. You know, so we're going down to territory. This yeah. time, not obviously doing Judo Naked in front of the television. And I think that's let the film down. <laughs> Christopher Walken, this time, not, uh, yeah, not, not retrieving a golden watch out of his son's yeah. arse. And Bruce Dern, who... I like Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern's good, but this, Crazy Bruce Dern. But this film is not good. The, I, right, I find more and more of these latter episodes we've been doing, James, I tend to share a personal, like, I remember being at my nan's house in this year. Yeah. I remember watching this movie, and the, one of the standout moments of it was he pays for a bath. Yeah. So, he, like, after he's, like, bloodied, he's got, like, bruised, and, he, you know, there's a big scene where it plays out that he's, you know, he's been beat up pretty bad. Um, he goes and he pays and they fill up a tin bathroom to have a little soak. And I remember you know, that was very soapy water. Luckily, we're not in, you know, we're not in the <laughs> in territory of color of the night anymore. Right, good. But, but it, I was wondering where you go. But, the, but at the same time, the same time, I watched Maverick with uh, Mel Gibson. Yep. And, and in that, he he goes somewhere and he pays for a bath. Who was? His bath looked a lot better. I was going to say whose bath was better. It looked a lot better, and, and I think Mel Gibson got a courtesy shave as well. Do as you, the, was his cheaper though? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Like, so I'd love can you imagine to go, having a bath emporium. I was going to say, I, I would, I would love to go through, have one episode, but when we're mega famous and we can afford to lose lots of listeners, we'll go through the economics of films. <laughs> it's like, how does this work? It's a lucrative <laughs> business, isn't it? Like, but I imagine, I mean, with Maverick being a bit more of, you know, of times that go long gone, yeah. eating that bath water would have been a lot harder. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you thought of it like that. So you would have thought more, and also the courtesy chave suggests to me that it was, it was a higher establishment. You know, it was it, they prepared for these things. So a mm. bit of extra coin, but you get what you pay for. Because maybe Bruce Willis was just like, I, I need some suds. I just need water. I just need suds. I just need to soak these bruises. Because <laughs> he's pounding the pavement. Have you seen the Simpsons episode where Homer starts to do a illegal brewery in his basement and he goes to the bathroom shop and he's like, good sir, I need 50, I need 50 bathtubs. And the guy goes, are you sure? We've got an offer on if you buy 52 this week. <laughs> <laughs> is that the prohibition one yeah, yeah. <laughs> who passed 52 bathtubs I, I still love the, the scene where, goes, where the guy who's quite clearly uh, Kevin Costner from the Untouchables is like, I'll find you Bruce Barron and then you just go no you won't <laughs> I fucking love that no you won't oh Bruce Willis right here we go if we're talking about the best I'm going to hit it now I'm peeking you're going to peek I'm going to peek I'm going to watch you peek my one of my favorite um, one of my favorite genres, and this is no surprise, is sci-fi. Mm. I love everything about sci-fi. I love the fact that sci-fi can be mixed with so many. You can have a sci-fi romance. You can have a sci-fi horror. Sci-fi suggests imagination, and that's what I really love. When I go to cinema, that's what I want. And what you you say it, you're a big uh, standard of this. You are a big fan of. You want to see someone try something different as mm. opposed to the same old shit. Sci-fi, I think, is a genre that allows you to do it. When we say sci-fi, a lot of people think, "Oh, it must be set in space." No, a lot of the Avengers stuff that we see is sci-fi because it's science fiction. It's fiction. It's science with a fictional edge, not based in reality. Sci-fi. Sci-fi is phenomenal. It's given us aliens. It's given us uh, the Terminator. It's given us what we class as the modern action hero now. is is heavily seeded in uh, sci-fi. Sci-fi to me has always been about exploration. It's always been about the future. It speaks to me on so many levels. And then when I saw The Fifth Element, mm. 
I think that why at the time was one of my favorite interpretations of the future. And I say that all the time, you know, uh, back to the future. I remember watching this film is from Lucas, uh, Luke Besson, who obviously famous for doing, uh, what would Lady do? Uh, Lady Arrival. Leon. Uh, Arrival, what am I saying? Yeah. That was Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, they were talking about Leon. So, Leon, uh, yeah. so I know that he, but they gave him a budget and he created like this capitalist, horrible dystopia kind of utopia. You know, like McDonald's in, in mile highs in the sky, you know, police. This world where basically he's, uh, he's able to have a lot of fun in it. It's it's cartoonish, but at the same time, the right side of medicine. I really like the fifth element. I know a lot of people don't. I like its campness. I like its cartoonishness, and I like it. And a lot of people say they don't like the massive tonal shifts where they'll go from, oh, you know, something really funny, you know, someone wearing a hat that's a flaw, you know, that's not funny. Then going to like the whole existence of humanity will go. Um, there's a fantastic scene when the fifth element, the hope itself, uh, played by. Uh, Mila Djokovic Rubbish, yeah. before she decided to destroy a game franchise when she was good <laughs> when she when she uh, as an element she needs to learn about humanity she she basically learns the history of the world and she gets she goes through all the letters in the dictionary gets to war uh, and then decides that you know humanity's not worth safe in and then you get like a really well two points there one there are worse words before you get to W like famine or stuff like that she's fine with that like racism racism went faster she was like oh humanity is worth saving it's only war that done it anyway um, but there's a really tender scene I don't think that's something that we are going to talk about at all is when he holds it and he, I know he tells her he loves it now at no point during Bruce Willis's career have I ever seen this like openness this kind of like um I've never seen his acting, this this vulnerable, open, romantic acting, where he just kind of holds Mila Djokovic. And, and I think he really does a great job. And I, this is one of these things that I apologise, listeners, when I like something, I go on rambles. And I've started about 80 different sentences, so I'm going to try and sum them now, and I apologise. I would say that this is his best acting because of the range, because of the story. It fits him so well. The film is great. Every aspect of the film is really great. But Bruce Willis seems to fit the archaic story type. He plays the alpha male. You know, he's the cop or the former. No, he's the cabbie. He, yeah, he's a cabbie, but he's a former special forces. He's got a relationship with his mum. Mm. That's brilliant. He's always on the phone to his mum. His mum's always having a go. He lives in a crappy apartment. He collects guns from the amount of people that rob him. But when Dewey calls, he's there. But he's there in a really fun way. Like, he's funny in this film. He's He's... You are drawn to him, but ultimately it's not his job to save the world. It's his job to get the actual person who will save the world mm. to the end. And this is obviously a famous film where the villain never meets the good guy. And I I love that. It's one of the favourite things. The villain played by Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Mr. Zorg or whatever And some was. black ooze never meet the fifth element and they never meet uh, uh, Corbin Dallas. And I really like this It's film. a good name, Corbin Dallas. It is a good name. Like, uh, Corbin Dallas Multipass. And I've, I, Ian Holm. Ian Holm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Luke. Chris Tucker, do it. He's over the top, but in a way that only he could be over the top. Yeah. I don't find him annoying because it's because it's Chris Tucker. Mm. He gets a pass because it's Chris Tucker. So, I, I, I really like this movie. The, I often think, you know, when I go back and, you know, for my sins, I'll do the Star Wars all over again, yeah. including the prequel trilogy. And when I'm in Attack of the Clones territory, when they're chasing after the assassin at the beginning. Yes. I always think, wouldn't it be cool if you saw Bruce Willis's Corbin Dallas going past in the other direction? Because yeah. that's very like Fifth Element, isn't it? It is, yeah. And uh, you know, the whole hovercrafts, the space cities, all that kind of stuff. They, they go around the corner and there's not a little police car, there's a wall of police cars yeah. swaying, blocking the... I'd love that. And you think, how does anyone... Why 
that you'll see a lane of traffic and you think, but when it's in the sky, you would just fly anywhere, wouldn't yeah. you? Like you just you go the the path of least resistance to your destination. Why is everyone following a route? In, yeah, in the you know, but. I, I love all, yeah I, I love this. It was a sleeper hit, wasn't it? It didn't do well at the box office, but it no. became a cult film, and it found its audience much much later. I, and there's a scene in it again. It's not Bruce Willis, but it's a Bruce Willis episode. But I just want to whilst we're on it, when we ever get a chance to talk about this again, the opera scene's fantastic. Mm. It starts off powerful and then turns into a bit of like a rock opera. Where she's doing a bit of bit of jigging, and then Bruce Willis gets inside and pulls out some stones. That happens. It happened. <laughs> um, fifth element, I would say, is his best performance. Or Probably what, probably how I should respond to it. If you take Die Hard out of the equation, my favourite film of his. Mm. Maybe he has done a better performance, but I I think he works really well in this film. Able to play off the archaic stereotypes. Having fun with the anarchy of the film. He, he like there's a hostage scene. <laughs> he goes, uh, Luke Evans, not Luke Evans. The Luke British, Perry. No, it's the British uh, comedian. Oh, no, no, Lee Evans. Lee Luke, Evans. Luke Perry is in the movie. Is he? Yeah, but Lee Evans is in it as oh, well, yeah. Lee, Lee Evans trying to negotiate with them and he just goes in and shoots them in the end. <laughs> just, it's fun. It is fun. I really like this film. Watch it, The Fifth Element. Fifth Element. Yeah, I think that's my favourite of his. I think we'll probably need to skip a few to kind of try and keep the... Uh... To try and keep the episode in, in within a reasonable time. We're not doing nine minutes like last week, but no. um, certainly to try and... Because I think then it becomes, there are no, some, That's a shame because the Jackal's bollocks, mate. The Jackal is a weird movie, isn't it? <laughs> but but he plays... He's he's constantly changed. He's a hitman that can't be caught. But he's not the most distracting thing in it. And he's not great in it. He's fucking Richard Gere's accent. What's going on in that film? I think he's supposed to be Irish because he plays an IRA terrorist. But at one point, I think he's Jamaican. It's fucking awful. I, I don't like the Jackal. I've never liked I it. Don't, it's, on, it's, on, it's on BBC iPlayer. I've watched it not that long ago. I just remember thinking... Why? I remember like Jack Black's in this Most film. people get to the Jack Black bit and they turn <laughs> it off, don't they? It's not a good film, but he, he, I would say Richard Gere is next level crap. And Sidney Poitier, he comes across as an idiot in that film. Mm, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, Mercury Rising is one of them, again, that I kind of forget about. I think the, it's his, his archetype though. Is You know when you talk about his later films, it's very simple. He has to save a kid. But it, but again, he's not the worst thing. It's, it's Alec Baldwin chewing scenery out as he tries to kill like a, Six-year-old autistic Nine-year-old, child. Nine-year-old, yeah. Nine like, year, he's got the codes, doesn't he? And that, he's got his yeah. codes because he pulled him. So, so instead of, you know, like changing the codes, it's like, just shoot the kid. <laughs> Alec Baldwin, just calm down, yeah? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just hook it in, lads. Just let it go. Um, I liked The Siege. I think that's an underrated film. Uh, the Siege is about a terrorist oh, attack. Oh, Denzel by, Washington movie. Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Benedict. Oh, no. The late Anna and... But she's in American Beauty, the the mom. Sorry, I can't right. remember her name. Uh, the Siege is, is a great film. But what's weird is it's set before 9-11. And then when you watch it in a post-9-11 world, it's actually really scary because I it, a lot of it's true. A lot of what happens in The Siege is what happened post-9-11. It, and, and, and Annette Benning, sorry. Which Annette Benning, sorry. That's a really harsh film to watch, but I really enjoy it. And he and it, he's a good character. He's a villain. But at the same time, is he? Is he? Because he's a he's a general, I believe, and he is trying to. Well, he's 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 the uh... after the terrorist attack. He's the one that tries to find order, and yeah. and Denzel Washington's the FBI agent, and they don't think it's constitutional that the army is basically searching for these terrorists in the borough of New York, and they start torturing some of the combatants, i.e., what's happened, you know, post nine eleven, and I think it's a really good story. And he he's supposed to be like the the villain, but not the real villain. I think then comes. You know, three three massive movies really. We're uh, going into the, the going into the two thousands. I mean, Armageddon. Yeah. <sighs> Where would you start with that movie? I 
2000, right? So I would have been 13 when this movie came out. I remember getting it on, at the time, NTL, Channel 50 was <laughs> box office. It was like three ninety nine for a film and you got it all weekend and you could tape it. Oh, mate. Back in the day. Now I remember, you know, we. I grew up in a, you know, four kids, you know, single parent kind of household. Money was, you know, it, well, you didn't use money on anything, James, but we did use it on Armageddon that yeah, weekend. Did. And I remember us all sitting around and watching it and it was huge. It was... It was a massive blockbuster. Like, regardless of what it is now, and it's, you know, and you're older and you can dissect it, and you'll be like, really? They sent oil drillers into space yep. to blow up an asteroid yep. because astronauts couldn't use a drill. Yep. But you get away from that, and it's an ensemble cast. Like, I mean, it's an incredible cast, isn't it? Um, it is, if you think about it. Yeah, it's a phenomenal. Oh, it's the, yeah, because you know all the main players, but then when you start breaking it down into, you know, Jason Isaacs being in it, yep. and Billy Bob Thornton, and some of these other characters. And, you know, you, you go straight to the Affleck's and, and you could tell know, it was, Owen Wilson, you know, I think people forget he's in it. They, they, it was like, it was, you could tell it was like in the product of the mid-90s or in the 90s because there was a, the, the same guy played the president mm. in these films. And it would always come to him. It was, it was exactly the same uh, president as they had in The Rock, same actor and everything. <laughs> he had to give a speech about, oh, it's bad for humanity. <laughs> We've got to do it. And this was the race against Deep Impact, wasn't it? They were both coming out at the same time, both had a very similar feel to it. Um, but Armageddon... I. As a kid, was incredible. I'm I'm not going to use this podcast as a as a platform to say you know to make jokes out of how ridiculous it is. Yes, I'm looking at the animal cracker scene with Ben Affleck. It just doesn't age well, and I don't know what's going on with the song. Who's Aerosmith singing to? His daughter, <laughs> his wife. I don't know. What's got, what is that song about? I don't know. But it is a good movie. And as a 12 year old, 13 year old, I fucking got well emotional at the end. I was like, he fucking saved, he saved him and they didn't see eye to eye, but he did it for his daughter. You know, and, and like, I, I got really invested in it. I'll tell you now, James, I did. I'm sorry. The only, the only way it could have been better, I swear to God, the only way you can If the improve, asteroid had a mouth. No, it, yes. And eyes. <laughs> and was voiced by like, <laughs> Billy D. Williams. <laughs> so he tried to seduce, like, let me hit the planet. Come on. <laughs> Come I'll, on. Just, I'll just hit France. No, is if, is if the thing exploded again, like the second short, the second machine explodes and they don't know what they're going to do. And it's like, oh my God, drilling has let us down. And then, and then fucking Bruce Willis just pulls out a spade. It's like, I'll do the rest myself. Yeah, no, 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 no. Just his hands. He's <laughs> like, just, just throw me in there, boys. <laughs> just leave it's me. Like, That's the only way. And then like, like a dog in a sandpit. <laughs> yeah. just, just like, <laughs> it's the only way it could have been better. It's like, it's like yeah. the tension. That film, though, it just it should just be called <laughs> The Worst Luck. <laughs> it does, like, everything bad that could happen happens. Oh, yeah, yeah it is. It's, it, it, it looked at Apollo 13, didn't it? And just it was run. like, hold my beer. <laughs> I'll show you a space movie that goes wrong. <laughs> no, I think at the beginning of that movie, they should have planted the seed early with like Bruce Willis having like, I don't know, like uh, steel molars in his mouth. And at the end, he's like, I'll chew through the rock. <laughs> and then you're like, fucking foreshadowing. He's got them steel. He's got them unatanian molars. <laughs> <I'd>, I... <laughs> Mate, the, the the greatest scene though is there's a scene where they go to Jason uh, Jason Isaacs and he explains it to him and he's Catch like, a bit. "You believe so?" And he's like, "And they say you should listen to him. He's the smartest man in the world." And then in the next scene, Bruce Willis is like, "You don't want to dig there, you twat." <laughs> <laughs> Just explains to him why he doesn't know it. But there's a difference between science and you know minerals because you know physics and stuff. They don't they don't care about the biological makeup of any materials on the planet. But I do remember Fucking I do idiot. remember it's thirteen that Jason Isaac scene where he's like. He says firecracker, doesn't he? We, say, we, say, we say firework. And yeah. it's like, hold it in your hands, you get a burn. Yeah. Close your hand around it. And your, muff, your wife, your your wife's going to open them ketchup bottles for the rest of your life. I remember as a kid being like, it makes perfect sense. They need to drill into this asteroid. Um, and then there's the whole paranoia, isn't it, about like, what if Earth got hit by an asteroid and all that kind of stuff? And it did kick off. and that, everyone Conspiracy. Was, like, yeah. It's going to happen at some point. 
Armageddon was huge. It was fucking massive. It was such a blockbuster. And to think that he had to sign up to it, as I said at the top of the episode, because of the Broadway brawler, which at no point sounds like a movie I'd want no, to watch. No. But then again, I've seen Striking Distance. So, you know, you can't win them all, can you? But um, it, a monumental movie. Coming shortly after that, we had... Um, the Kid. The Kid, <laughs> which, again, I watched that and didn't mind it. I mean, it's not... It wasn't... Even at 13, watching that movie, I knew that this film was probably a bit well, I don't younger. Get, than I don't want to get into it too much, but the only thing I vaguely remember about this film is that at one point there is a kid Bruce Willis talking to normal Bruce Willis while an old Bruce Willis is flying past him in a red plane, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, it's, cool. it's the big thing, is The big thing was he was it's, it's himself. He doesn't realise that the kid is himself. But, but There's a kid in all of but, us, but this, but this is all this is all started by the future one getting them together so the younger one can teach the middle-aged Bruce Willis to, you know, enjoy life so that the older Bruce Willis can be in a red plane flying At the end. But what doesn't make sense is if, if that's the case, we're going to go time parables here. How... In what situation was he able to go back in time and change his life? Because he wouldn't have... The Terminator situation, mate, if say, he goes back in time, it doesn't make any sense. So the, the kid, bollocks. <laughs> Scientifically, bullshit. I remember when we debunked the Terminator? Yeah. That was a good episode. Sixth Sense, we've talked about in the Glass episode, yeah. which I still think one of the best names of a podcast ever. Glass yourself, what was it? It was... Uh, oh, what, what do we call that episode? I remember. M. Night Shamabollocks. <laughs> It was like two glasses, one cup for something like that. <laughs> so good, but yeah, I I think I think Super Sense is one of the one of the best M Night Shyamalan movies. It was certainly a savior for Bruce Willis. You love or hate Armageddon, um, Fifth Element. We talked about Jackal. You know these movies are not bringing in the books that um, you know Diod was or any of the Diod sequels. But Sixth Sense was astronomical, wasn't it? I think it's still his biggest grossing movie, or it was at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. And we've covered Sixth Sense in, in detail, but and it became a cool thing, didn't it, about don't spoil Sixth Sense. It's like now we get that, like, hashtags on Twitter, don't spoil the ending of things like the Avengers or whatever. Um, not Line of Duty, apparently. Apparently we can just spoil yeah, that. Yeah, you can spoil that. You know, Falcon and Winter Soldier. People... Falcon and Winter Soldier, bloody, that was spoiled about two minutes after it bloody aired. Oh, I, what... I didn't even watch the final episode because of, because of some things I've seen. Absolutely amazing that as someone who doesn't watch that, I'd never find out trailers, but uh, spoilers. I never find out spoilers for things that I don't watch. It is mm. mental. Like, I still can't tell you what happened in WandaVision because I've not seen it and I, it hasn't been spoiled for me. I should watch <gasps> WandaVision. That's good. Oh, okay. Um, but Sixth Sense is, is outstanding. And it is, you you know, you've got to watch it. You've got to watch it because it's just the twist, if you don't know it, and and the filmmaking and the attention to detail in that film. And, the and I, I, you know, I like the script in it. I think his dialogue that he has with Haley Joel Osment and you know, that their scenes, they very slow paced atmospheric scenes that they have in it. I, I think are really good. Really, never really, really good. done before as well. Yeah. And terrifying. God, and Tony Collette, I forget all the time. Tony Collette's in that movie. She's a, she's, she's a mum. Yeah. yeah. And it's fucking terrifying. Some of them scenes. I remember there's a kid watching this. So again, I would have been about 13, 14. That, this movie scared the shit out of me. Like some of them ghosts, mate, you won't fuck about them ghosts. No. Like, they are ghosts you do not fuck about with. Marisha Barton poisoned the food. You will mess with that worst. It was Marisha Barton, wasn't it? It was Marisha Barton. What'd she do that for? Was the, the mum, was, was it the mum? Because yeah. he tells her at the funeral, like, I know the, I know the crime's been committed, but pick your time. Yeah. <laughs> because because if you were the dad grieving at the funeral and then some bloke just caught you and went, oh, your you daughter's you'd be like, could you fuck off? <laughs> i tell you what, though. Like, and even that kid as well, when he appears and he's like, oh, come here, I'll show you where my dad keeps his gun. And yeah, then he turns around and says, like, sneaky ghosts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
and he's got and there's a scene where he goes to the toilet and a ghost goes past and you're like you can't you're not even safe in the John you know you, ghost mate can't trust him in this movie ghosts. fucking ghost mate fucking ghost now you know I'm gonna say it there's it, not you hit a few and far between now this is hold nine yards mate I'm gonna it, tell you I loved it you no know, it's a good film but I haven't when was the last time you saw it not critically, recently critically panned but commercially, no, no, he, commercial he well. no, no, commercially it was huge. Right. It was critics didn't like it, but commercially, commercially it was massive. This is the thing, isn't it? That uh, they did a bet on saying that Bruce was like, "I just will never make money." And yeah. Matthew Perry, who at the time would know nothing about making money, <laughs> it was like, "Yeah, well," and it was. So he had to come and do I don't know, Friends. Friends was massive in two thousand. Yeah, well, his movie career. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I this this movie gave me so much. It, like, oh, I think it's good. Film. Showed showed off Canada and looked a charming place. Wide roads, apparently. I was falling in love with Amanda Peet. I believe this is the first time I saw Amanda Peet. Yeah, um, and also the, just all those scenes, you know, when like he keeps going, uh, "I'm a dentist." He's suicidal. Yeah, and just that, there's a reoccurring joke all the way through it that I, I thought was brilliant. Jimmy the Tulip, mate. Bruce Willis in typecast like Bruce Willis is like hard man moves into neighborhood gangster laying low. I love this movie. It had so many moving parts to it, right? Right to the end, like double crossing, you know, uh, you know, good guy, they're a bad guy, you know, all that kind of stuff in it. I think this movie was really, really, really good. I, I had it on, uh, and I, I had Kevin Pollock in it, and I'm, and I'm talking positively, which we get to hostages. But um, wait till you get to the whole ten yards. <laughs> no, don't start on that. That's the irredeemable movie. That is that's fucking terrible. Whole ten yards. But this, I do. do you remember <laughs> when you used to get like a TV guide and on the back page you could get like three DVDs for twenty quid? Yeah. This is what I got. This negotiator and I think oh, one of the James Bond movies. Mate, you said negotiator. That's a slice of nice. I mean, you can't talk about it all, but that's a great film. You can talk about most of the cast. No, the two of them. Two of them you can't talk about. Oh, we'll yeah. talk about it off air, but one of them you can't talk about at all. And it's not who you think about. Wow, that's, that's a tangent. Let's, let's move on. Unbreakable. Back I to M. Night Shyamalan. Don't like it. I do. What are you on about? Because Glass glass hurt it. It's, a, it. it's okay. I don't think time will be kind to it. Not like Sixth Sense, which I think will always See, hold I think up. time is kind to Unbreakable because now with the, whole, with the superhero genre, this is a slab of bloody... Completely different. I think what hurts it is that it now exists in the world with glass. <laughs> yeah, that hurts it. <laughs> and that hurts, that hurts it. it. That also hurts split. And his kid. <laughs> yeah. Because his kid, it was a, I, no, I, I don't I, like I it. Think, I think this was really good and, and, and highly original for a comic book. I love the idea of a villain trying to find his hero because every everyone has an opposite. That's cool. That's, and that the reveal is cool. at the end is truly like evil is it though because i didn't i when i found out i was like i was like oh that makes sense I, was like, I wasn't shocked i liked it i liked unbreakable but but doesn't but that's why i get confused but doesn't samuel jackson's when you first meet him spend the entire time talking to david dunn telling him oh everyone needs a bad guy isn't it obvious that he's the bad guy throughout the film was it just me that i got lucky no i think you you know he's the bad guy you just don't know the terror acts he's committed to try and find oh uh, i i always thought he, i was yeah. i was kind of thought exactly that he i was like oh he's the train didn't he, he did yeah. all that stuff you know and, and um yeah he, he killed because that's how it comes into glass he, he we blows up a plane doesn't it it's related to uh, james or was it is it the train either james, way james McAvoy's parents were on the train oh, that they on the train Willis was on yeah. i know um, that he does a lot yeah. so uh, it's it's okay i didn't think it was that great um and then uh, we're starting to get dangerous now because I, I see Bruce Willis as post post Unbreakable is when it starts to go downhill a little bit. So uh, Bandits, Hearts War, Grand Hearts War is forgettable. I can't Farrell in it. I, uh, Bandits, which I believe he was up against. Um, 
I believe, but see, Bandits was a weird one because I remember it being everywhere. Like, I think they put a lot of money into promoting this film with, uh, with Billy... Bob Thornton and Kate Blanchett. And I remember not, I thought it was quite boring. Mm. But then again, I, maybe I was at that teenage stage, you know, cusping the, where I was thought I was evolving as a movie watcher. It came at the wrong time. I don't recall liking it that much. Hearts War, forgettable. Tears of the Sun, forgettable. It, like, really forgettable. I remember that was that came at the wrong period of war films. It did, the, didn't the, it? Yeah. When they were dying off, these kind of films. The, 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 I, I rewatched this recently and it doesn't hold up. I watched this at the cinema and one of the things that did, what was it fascinating in the cinema was it was one of the first movies I remember with proper Dolby surround sound, like some of them bullets sounded like they were yeah. flying past you. And I remember in the cinema being more interested in the production value than the actual content because Bruce Willis is this like, you know, um, like gravelly voiced Lieutenant straight out of the eighties. Yeah. Like we've been here you know, and and it just didn't, it doesn't like, it's certainly not that good when you rewatch it either. And it deals with some really um, complicated issues. Like and genocide, isn't it? There's, yeah. there's that, there's, muti you know, female mutilation and, and stuff like yeah. that in it. And there's some very, very like, I don't think Tears of is the film to hit those it's not things. The, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not the, it's not the vehicle to kind of bring awareness to some of the issues that are having it because it, it kind of does that in the first 30 minutes for you to kind of get, engaged with why they're there and they're there to rescue uh, I think it's like hostages and some aid workers or whatever and then it turns into this 90s action hero unfortunately in the 2000s and it just doesn't line up with the other um, you know you look at something like Same Pro Ryan that came out just before it <laughs> even We Were Soldiers the uh, Mel Gibson one Tears of the Sun I don't think anyone was asking for it and I, and I don't think he did too well no I, this, this is where I think he loses it I mean Rugrats gone what? They played the voice of Spike, and that's because they did a crossover with Wild Thornberrys, so Spike could talk. So who'd you get in? You get in a guy that can do a voice of a baby, James. Yeah. So if you can do the voice of a baby, you can do the voice of a dog. That's the rules. I don't remember it. And then we get, you know, the whole 10 yards. That's fucking terrible. It that, is a bad film. I think this is the worst on his filmography. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to... I'm, I'm gonna, so in it, his, his character now is, like, depressed, ultimately, like... It's, it's just a bad film. It's lazy. Even the, you know, the pun, the whole 10 yards, because it's the sequel to the nine yards. Um, it, it It's not funny. It's also at a stage where, so Bruce Willis likes to say he comes from a comedy background and can do comedy, but no one knows him really from comedy. They know him as no. the wisecrack in, um, and that's you know, sarcastic yeah. action, everyday action hero. But no one kind of goes... Oh, you can remember that real comedic Jim Carrey performance he did in whatever it was. But he keeps holding on to this, like, you know, I, I came up through comedy or whatever it is. And this movie shows that comedy, not everyone can do because whole 10 yards, it was fucking dreadful. Not even Matthew Perry comes out of this film entertaining or, or whatever. This is the hardest one for me to watch at the time because I was such a fan of whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, it just, everything about it but felt it, lazy. But everything is like, it's not just him. Everything is bad. There's a scene where he's like talking to chickens and stuff and, Kevin Pollock does that thing where he plays two people yeah. in it. I was going to say, he plays like his dad that got killed off in the first one, so he's a mob boss. So, so Pollock is putting more acting in than anyone else in this film. And, oh, fucking pair of Pollocks, this movie. <laughs> now, that's going in, that's going in the blurb. <laughs> that was actually a good joke. Fuck everyone. That was a good joke. No, I enjoyed it. You got a pity laugh. Right, now. <laughs> now, Bruce Willis did. <laughs> right, so we had a secret agenda. We were talking about where we think uh, Bruce Willis stopped caring or, you know, now I'm not saying he didn't, right. So 2004 is a weird year. The whole 10 yards is, is that I'm going to say that the years, 2005, 2006 were kind of a redemption story for him. 
So he's got some good movies in there, you know, like Lucky Number Seven, Sixteen Blocks, which I really liked. Lucky Number Seven, I want to rewatch. I don't like it, but but I can understand why people do like it. I, I like that. I like those movies that come together. Yeah, and th- it's the smoke and mirrors, isn't it? What you've seen isn't what you saw. Isn't what you've seen. And then there's the reveal. I I remember being. I quite like Lucky Number Eleven actually, and I haven't seen it since the day I saw it. Yeah, and, and I want to remember Josh Hartnett and Ugh. well. I do remember it's Ben Kingsley versus like Morgan Freeman as the villains. Um, I I don't really like the film, but but I can understand why people do. But 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 you got Alpha Dog where he plays the dad. That's mm. a good film. But Sixteen Blocks, I really like. He's got to get Moss Def across Sixteen Blocks whilst corrupt cops are killing him. It's like a real time. It's a really good it was, film. It was life, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. Yeah. He he um. He make he's an elderly man, so they do a great job of his makeup. I actually, when I bought Sixteen Blocks, I believe it's really cheap. But I really enjoyed Sixteen Blocks. Mm. I thought it was really good. So these are all good films. The, the Redemptions, um, Over the Hedge, was massively uh, yeah. praised. A perfect Stranger. <laughs> Did you mate, see we, that? We, mate, no, I haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen. I've never seen Perfect Stranger. It's one of the Bruce Willis movies I've never seen. Okay, um, but the thing is, right, you seen Hostage. Well, I was I was gonna say Hostage. Hostage was good because there's a hostage situation and someone takes his family hostage. So there's host- who's the hostage? There's hostages within hostages. It's, yeah, yeah. That was actually pretty good. I quite like that. I quite like- weirdly it was the first time I've seen a film like that. And I've, I've thought it was a bit weird. I don't really like the, the villains in them. I don't well, think it's Ben that- Foster at the time with much younger, longer hair. Yeah, um, was quite menacing as the psychopath in it. Yeah, it wasn't a psychopath. Isn't there other people as well that I don't like? Yeah, there's three. Because they're unrelated, aren't they? Th- there's two brothers in there, in it? and there's three going... Oh, sorry, I meant there's two sets of bad guys. All right. There's two sets of bad guys because the brothers kidnap someone who happens to have money for the mob, and mm. I think the mob are the other set of bad guys who kidnap Bruce Willis's family because they want to get something from the house. But they're not in league with the psychopaths. So yeah. there's like two sets of bad guys. And I thought... It, Ben Foster, I thought Ben Foster was believable as the psycho because it doesn't he get like close with the teenage door or something like And you're thinking, oh my God, where's this from going? It doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I quite liked Hostages. Sin City, one of the worst written things in the world, but the, the reason why the dog looks so crappy is because it's taken straight from the comic book. So it was a real good interpretation. He's okay in it. Um, it's hard again. Yeah. It, I like Sin City. I, I, it's the dialogue. It's not something. It's Mickey Rocks. It's like, it's like you smell like an angel or a smell. You just what? So got a bum ticker hard again. Yeah, it's, it's like, and I know they're lifted from the comic books, but you know, Michael Manson, I believe, is a two D character. Yeah, so, yeah. so I believe that. But. <laughs> Michael Manson. I, every time I watch it, I, and it happens in the first two minutes. When Michael Manson delivers that. You got a bum ticket. There's in his eyes. He's like, he's like, I just don't fucking care. I don't care. <laughs> like, and I watch it just for that because no one, no one post 1960 can say that line and think it sounds good. And, and he's like, fuck, I've got to say it. But you know, that's also the the kind of half redemption story of Mickey Rourke. Elijah Wood's fucking terrifying in that it movie. Is. It's an all star cast. Benicio got- del Story as an elite poo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clive Owens in it, and I, I don't mind it. I like the use of color in it. I like uh, Nick Stall as Yellow Bastard in it, and I love that scene as well. Where he's like, I took away his weapon, shoots his hand off, and he goes, yeah. and his other weapon, and shoots his dick off. You're like, fucking brilliant. So, so that's pretty good. I mean. It's since he, when he does the overvoice in the third chapter, when he's talking like, oh, don't see, like, how do you not know he's him? He's yellow. <laughs> he's, he's, how do you not know him? And then he, he looks at, instantly recognises like the four-year-old. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, it's Jessica Alba now. And then he's like, don't look at her because then he'll know that the yellow, it's like, well. It's fucking dark as well though. That bit where he's but, like torturing her and he's like, yeah. don't scream because that's what he yeah, really what he wants. wants. It's really dark. But, the, but what I'm saying is 2005, um, was it 2005? Yeah, 2005 um, past 2006 are actually really good. But I believe I figured out 
where the seeds of Stop Giving a Shit were, were found. Brown House? No, it's actually in 2004 when he, he stars in uh, Ocean's 12 as a cameo because he realised he plays Bruce Willis when the gang are trying to steal a diamond. He plays actual Bruce Willis. He plays himself. And he realised he could get paid to not act. He was like, well, fuck me. I can I be in this saying, film man. and I don't have to act. I can just be myself. In a terrible film, and it's not him, he plays himself, he's barely in it. But what I'm saying is, Seeds, mate, he was like, if I don't act, I still get paid the same amount of money. And I just think that that blossomed after, you know, in like the 2007s, the 2008s. He was like, I don't have to do jack shit. I don't need to give it to us. So I'm just saying that. But uh, I believe 2005 was a strong year. I liked Hostage. I liked Sin City. 2006, Alpha Dog, I really like. It's one of my favourite films coming out of that. Isn't it weird how he's gone through these phases, though? 80s, like the everyday action hero. The 90s, gambling, doing some indie movies, doing some kind of riskier kind of choices, ending on a high with a film like Armageddon, which is a massive global blockbuster. Into the 2000s, hit and miss with some of these films. Going out of what he's been typecast as. And then, actually, when you look at his filmography going into the next section... There are again some some performances that do stick out. But Red's, you have to find yeah, them. Yeah, Red wasn't that bad. But then Red's not bad because John Markovich is really good. Yeah, but but I think it does help that he's round people that like, ups his game. Like John Markovich was brilliant in that. So he had to step up. Cop Millie, out. Uh, Sorry, yeah. I was gonna say all of them are, you know, uh mm. they're all they're all because they play on the age thing, and I think that's quite good. I think do you know what? This is gonna sound like really stupid. I think Bruce Willis had fun making the film, so that made him more involved in the film because mm. I imagine it must have been quite fun Helen Mirren tracking jokes Morgan Freeman um, who did you just say sorry John Markovich John Markovich they're all great but, but it, when the film's not rolling you can imagine they were having a laugh so mm. maybe he's acting better but I never got that feeling even in his it, you, you were just about to mention Cop Out Cop Out is the there's nothing redeemable by that movie no it's a bad and it kind of ruined it spoiled a relationship Kevin Smith really wanted to work with um, Bruce Willis it was the only thing he wanted to do he loved art he was so desperate to work with him then afterwards so he's a dick, mm. which doesn't make sense because then they went on to appear on like Dyed Four again. But no, Dyed Four was before. Oh, was that, that, and that was the gateway into doing Cop Out. I think I listened to a lot of Kevin Smith podcasts, and he does often talk about Bruce Willis, like just randomly texting him saying, "Hey, you're all right. I heard about you had a heart attack. Is everything okay?" And he's like, "Oh, I think we're friends, but obviously he didn't realize." Yeah, <laughs> but I think Bruce Willis went out of his way to be hard work for Cop Out, and certainly the press. I, I think in Kevin Smith's eyes, he said that when it came to doing the the press part and selling the movie. Bruce Willis wanted none of it. But then when you look at the movie, you can see why, because it just, it is a very bad movie. It, you know, he sell, he's after baseball cards that he wants to sell to support his daughter. He's got Tracy Morgan in it. I don't, you, he's I'm got out. Sean William Scott, hasn't it? He has. Yeah, it's just, there's none of, I remember watching it and just being like, it's, just, it's not entertaining. No, it's not. I really don't like it. Over cop out. It's, an, it's, it's a cop out of a film. Nice. The Expendables, I, he, he's there for the cameo. I mean, it's until they get until Expendables three doesn't really no Expendables two sorry doesn't really do a lot. Do they? they don't. I I don't like the Expendables films. I like the oh, first. No, I like the first one and I like the third one, but the second one. I the only decent thing about it is the villain. Is it John Clover Nam or is it? Um, yeah, in the, in the second one, he's having fun. Yeah, but there's the airport scene when Chuck Norris turns up. That's what I don't like. I don't like. I don't get it. I don't get the Chuck Norris thing. I don't get it. You got a target on your head, James. I know I have. Bruce, he, uh, Chuck I mean, Norris is going to come and slap you. I know. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Love it. Fucking, that's a performance. That's yeah. great. That's coming out of nowhere. That's that's coming out of literally nowhere because before that, he'd been doing like Catch 44, Cop Out, Surrogates, which I don't even remember. 
Yeah, sorry, it's a bad movie. Um, and I just think when you look at Moonrise Kingdom, and I that was a film you made me watch once, and that was a brilliant performance. That that was fantastic. I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, everyone should watch that movie purely for Bruce Willis, Harvey Keitel, Bill Murray, and Edward Norton sharing he, scenes together. He had no right being that good in that film. Yeah. He yeah. had no right. When I was watching that, I was like, how dare you? And he also has no right to get to the end of the movie as kind of like the lead, because obviously it's centered around two young kids in it, but he kind of becomes the the lead, the male yeah. lead, the, the adult lead, sorry. When Edward Norton probably should have carried the movie or or um, Bill Murray, because it's, you know, Wes Anderson movie, so Bill yeah. Murray's in it. <laughs> uh, Looper? Didn't mind Looper. Oh, I think Looper's all right. I came to Looper late. I only saw it last year. I don't I don't get it, but it's nice sci-fi, take a risk, why not? Paul Dano. I like that. If that was a book, mate, I'd be all over that fo- that book. But if Probably he, was. I always get confused. So if the old one kills the young one, wouldn't he die? No, the young one kills the old one. Yeah, no, but he, he, he escapes, doesn't he? Anyway, don't worry. I don't want to get into it. Um, then maybe one of the worst films. Did you ever see G.I. Joe Retaliation? Yeah, it's got the rock in it, isn't it? It has got the rock in it, but do you know who Bruce Willis plays? G.I. Joe. He plays the original G.I. Joe, and that is such a cop out. It's such bollocks. It's utter shit. It should have been. If it was going to be anyone, it should have been fucking uh, Sergeant Slaughter. It's oh, too, it yeah. should have been. But this is absolute bollocks. When I remember that, and that film's played up. This is to me is is, is Expendables territory, where he just shows up to be like he's there at the end. He's like, oh, I'm going to do a bit of shooting at the end. He's like, just fuck off. Channing Tatum would do anything to get out of this. Uh, he dies. He he got screwed over, didn't he? Because he had to make this film. He's like, I really don't want to. That's why he dies off early. And he was just like, he's just, I'm out. And then I just think the film, bringing, bringing him in as the original G.I. Joe is such a cop out. He's such bollocks. I fucking hated it. I mean, it's not a great film. And I really, I quite like the first G.I. Joe and I don't know why. It's just a bit of fun. No, I didn't like it. Red 2, massive disappointment. Absolutely disappointing. And then, did you know in 2015 he was in Vice and not the film I thought it was? I was like, he wasn't in Vice. Checked out. No, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think here we get ter- dangerous territories because there's, there's a, here's where we start getting to straight to DVD with some of these movies. That, and he starts pissing them out. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the one that probably sticks out after 2015 is probably Death Wish. Which we've seen. Yeah, with directed by uh, Eli Roth. And I mean, Death Wish anyway is a... It's a very dated film. It's a dated movie. It, 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 we've seen revenge movies. We've seen better. And they've evolved as well now. Yeah. I've seen better Death Wish sequels than that movie. <laughs> but again, going back to the, the uh, Simpsons jokes, a, have you seen the one where he's like... Uh, I wish I was dead. Yeah. <laughs> Death Wish. Charles Bronson in Death Wish 84. And he's like, I, I wish, wish I was dead. dead. <laughs> um, but yeah, films like uh, Reprisal, Airstrike, those kind of films. I can never heard of him. Marvelous Brooklyn, I still haven't seen that with oh, Edward Norton's Passion Project. I, I will watch that one though. And then we get into this awesome territory of straight to DVD. And this is the lazy Bruce Willis that everyone now uh, kind of goes to. Like yep. how far the might have fallen as it comes to this. And James and I did some detective work before we looked at this. And bearing in mind, he has six films that are yet to be released. They've all been filmed because they're all in uh, post-production. They're all of them. They're all directed as well by the same bloke. So Edward Drake, um, the director and the writer for many of these movies. We talked about... Um, Breach. Which is also oh, called Anti-Life, Anti-Life. Which is a terrible name for a movie. Um, on the podcast last week. It was, was it? last week. Yeah. Last week. So, God, I wish I tried to forget it that we talked about that movie. 
But looking at it, like the last five, six movies Bruce Willis has done is all been by this guy. So this guy must have some blackmail on Bruce Willis yeah. to be like, or, you're in all these films. Or Bruce Willis is the only reason I need films. <laughs> I want to be in all of them. <laughs> Someone's not done something right. It's weird, isn't it? Maybe the guys, maybe the guy grew up and he was a huge fan of Bruce Willis and he was like, he would do anything to work with him. You know, he used it like, he's gone out of his way. It's like, oh, Bruce, would he be in this film? Would he do, would he do this for me? But the problem is Bruce is quite clearly not having fun. Because he's showing up, he's uninterested. Yeah, the problem with what we say now, Willis is Willis is tarnishing his tarnishing his own uh, legacy mm. because he went from you know comedy, you know he went to action star. He then, I, do you know what I really think he does? He he really does. He plays an aging person right well. Sixteen blocks, death becomes it. You know when he when he ages up, he's quite good. I like the jokes he makes in Die Four. You know when he's aged, you know his performances, but he'll say yes to anything and he won't give it. When he does interviews as well for these films, he doesn't care. He'll have arguments with people on on TV or with the interviewers. And we as viewers are just, we're slowly being turned off because he's churning out crap. And and it hurts because I think he's got a great film in him. I think he's got the age, which he plays so well, he's got the age yeah, of hero. Yeah, I, I think he's got, he's got, because again, he's he's never been nominated for an Oscar. He, he's won two Emmys. <laughs> he's won two, two Emmys, I think, or the only awards. And one of them was for cameo in Friends, which was losing a bet. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think I think he's got something in him at some point, some kind of redemption. Like you know, when some up and coming director, you know, would be like, "This isn't Bruce Willis." Like no. I grew up on Bruce Willis. Like you know, like uh, what was it, Rick Rubin, when he came back and got Johnny Cash a number one album because he yeah. was churning out rubbish. He's like, no, Johnny, you're better than this. And he started doing some covers and all of a sudden kind of gave him this late bloom in his career. Like there, there is a movie in here though called What Just Happened that we didn't cover, which is the movie he was in with Sean Penn, Robert De Niro, Robin Wright, Kristen Stewart, Stanley Tucci. Oh, I've not seen it. Um, it I have to rewatch it because I was, I didn't, I didn't really fall into it the first time. Centers around Robert De Niro is the, is the main performance. Again, he plays an actor in it. Does he play? He's just called actor, but you're supposed to think he's Bruce Willis. Mm. So it's a cell. It's one of them roles where it's it's on the nose. Have uh, that you know they're dealing with the real Bruce Willis. Robert Zero is a is a producer trying to get a picture made that Bruce Willis is the star in, but he won't sign the contract. Oh, I think you've told me about this. He's got film. this fucking big beard, and, and his beard is glorious, and he won't <laughs> shave the beard. You have told me. Yeah, and it, and it's one of them really weird films where it, nothing really happens. It's more about just kind of dialogue and. Like, you know, like, Robert De Niro kind of... Is it like a Hail Caesar type thing? Because Hail Caesar, nothing really happens in that film. It's about the productions. Of- but, but Hail Caesar had more budgets. No, 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 you don't... It doesn't show you... It doesn't peek behind the curtain of filmmaking oh, or okay. anything. It's, like, it's very much like Robert De Niro, like, fumbling around with contract uh, con- contacts to try and get this movie made and to try and get Bruce Willis to sign up to a role and everything. It's, it doesn't... But it's, it's entertaining, but I do need to rewatch it because I remember I saw it once and I... When I wasn't giving it my full attention, I was like, I need to revisit this at some point. So I suppose a couple of questions then wrapping up on Bruce Willis is, what was your first Bruce Willis memory? Like, what was the first movie where you was like, Die Hard. Do you think it was? I think it was, yeah. Because Die Hard was, was, was it? I think mine might have been a Die Hard sequel, you know, before it was actually Die Hard. I, I think it might have been Die Hard 3. I... I think I I think died because purely because it, I just remember I don't know it sounds really weird I remember Nakatomi Plaza I remember see I remember the image of Nakatomi Plaza before that and you can't think of Nakatomi Plaza without uh, Die Hard uh, mm. the first one so I always think of that one and it's the scene is it's not it's the image of him in his bloodied up leaning out the broken window it's, I believe it's the line where he says welcome to the pipe out that it just I remember mm. that so that's my first image of Bruce Willis 
Yeah. I my think first memories anyway. That young Bruce Willis, you know, from that movie, that, oh, fucking hell, mate, that whole last 20 minutes of that film, you know, it all starts, but when he figures out, like, I've got to go to the roof, he was yeah. hands was up there doing something. From that mo- bit onwards, because I watch this every Christmas Eve, like, yeah. I get the fucking gears going in that bit. Goes up there and he's, like, fighting with Carl and he goes up to the roof and he gets the hostages down and the helicopter blows up because Johnson & Johnson, not the baby oil, they're firing down on him and it all blows up. And then he has to jump off with the holding onto the rope uh, onto the uh, yeah, the hose, hose, which doesn't really make sense. Nope. And then he comes through the window, and then even then, when he kind of goes back to where it all started, the party floor, it's all blowing up, and the helicopter's like falling down the side of the button, and it explodes inwards, and the Christmas tree falls down, and all that shit happens, and you're like, oh my god, this died, it's amazing, I fucking love died. But I don't think it was the first movie that I saw Bruce Willis in. I think it was the third one. Yeah, well, that's it's, it's about the time. I don't remember, but when I think of that's the first memory I've got. Do you, even though Bruce Willis is churning out questionable crap. films? Crap. He's crap. Are you a Bruce Willis fan? Do you know what? He's given me, I think, do you know what it is? I, I'm going to say yes because he's given me the memories. He has given me the fifth element. He's given me the fun. He's given me the times that I've had so much pleasure watching films. I, the hype, because he, he churns out so much crap, I'll never watch that. I'll always see the good films better than the bad films. So, you know what? Yes, I am a fan. And you know what? If he keeps turning out bad films, that's fine. He's got to wait. He's got to do his kitchen. I'll always thank him for the memories of Diad. I'll thank him for the memories of Armageddon. Those films that when he did care, he gave 100% and he gave me some great memories growing up. And that's when I look back on films, films I remember the most fondly are the ones that I grew up with, not the ones I'm watching now. What do you think you most watched is other than Diad? Um... Do you know what? I, I, probably The Fifth Element. Mm. Which is, I don't own the film. But no, I'd always go with that. And, and for a period, 16 blocks, because I really like 16 blocks. It's something in the 2000s, I really got into it. Because the, the villain, I really liked, I can't remember who it was. It was the villain from uh, 16, uh, 12 Monkeys. I actually know it's 12 Monkeys. I've seen 12 Monkeys billions of times. It's 12 Monkeys. I forgot about it from 12 Monkeys. I've, I've seen lock it in that answer. I lock in that answer because I've seen that, I see that film on average about once a year. Because I always forget it and I don't know why. And it's always on, it's always on something. Yeah. 12 Monkeys, yeah. <laughs> it's not the kind of film you can join halfway through neither, is it? No. Like, I, need yeah. to, I need to remember how this film started. Well, I'm just really, there's a really cool scene in it where she doesn't believe him. And then weirdly, he's been, he goes back in time but stops at World War One and gets shot in the leg. Yeah. And then, and I really love that scene because, because she says, she says throughout the entire film, I, was like, I know your face from somewhere. And it turns out he's in a photo like right in front of him of this like bold bloke in World War One. It's called like the Naked Soldier that she's been researching. And I think that's that's made brilliant. I, I, I need to rewatch that actually. It's a great. It's, it, I love the writing, the complexity, and and Bruce Willis is is perfect in it. And then uh, the only other question I was going to ask you was um, the opinions on Die Hard, but we've covered that. So it's probably the greatest action trilogy of all time. The first three, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I've got a soft spot for the fourth one. I. I like it. I'm a big fan of the aging hero. Mm. You know, Rocky Balboa, uh, kind of. The fourth one did that because it was a digital attack and he says in it, and he's yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I'm analog in a digital world. He doesn't get how the terrorists are attacking. And all the way through it, he's kind of like, what do I need to, to do? Yeah, yeah, Justin Long, he's like, how do we stop this? You know, like, and there's, yeah, he really shows his age in that movie. But the fifth one, I think, did a lot of damage. Yeah. I still don't like you the act- with him on an aeroplane. The fourth one tried to cover with him being like, because he hates flying, doesn't he? Yeah. And the fourth one, they were like, oh yeah, I've taken some flying lessons because they need to get to A to B and they find a helicopter. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And um, the fifth one, it like starts with him in an airplane. It's like, how hard would it have been for him to just be clenching, you know, the aisle or something? Too much. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too, too much acting, apparently. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, Bruce Willis, I love the guy. I hope he keeps tuning out movies. I hope there's some gems in him let to go. It's still to go, sorry. Um, but I'll always rewatch those eighties and nineties movies and a couple from the two thousands. So yeah. Bruce Willis is a is a firm favourite of the podcast. And as always, we joke and we make fun and all that, which is easy to do from where we are, but it it, it's, it is just so easy <laughs> with some of these movies. Um, no, I'm, not no. look, I'm not looking forward to the next few years because he sounds like there's some shit coming. <laughs> I know, yeah. Maybe I'll just stay in my own lockdown for a bit longer. <laughs> uh, if you have a favourite Bruce Willis movie that we haven't talked about, don't forget, you know, write in, let us know. Uh, let us know your opinions on some of these films that we talked about today. Um, let us know if we missed the mark or if we've just in general been talking shit. Yeah. That's we, our podcast for this week. We usually do. Thank you for that. If I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening and good night. Goodbye.